1: Welcome
2: to this week's Failed Critics Podcast, I'm Steve Norman and I'm joined by Owen Hughes Hello And Carol Petz Hello As we take a look over the last week or so in film, including some new releases and a return of Triple Bill Where we look at some directorial debuts um, But to start off, uh, the quiz, or to start off before the quiz I watched the film that Owen made me watch, which was Francis ha, Uh not going to talk too much about it because carol wants to see it and doesn't want it ruined it is um apparently a comedy drama um i don't like to use of the word apparently yeah. there well i'll, I'll explain um <laughs> about about a girl called francis um so there you go clues in the title uh, and just about a period of her life um like yeah, I can see this film isn't aimed at me. This film isn't for me. It wasn't It wasn't made for people like me. Um, I can see where the funny bits are meant to be, but I just find Frances a bit of a dick.
3: That is, yeah, that's exactly my reaction as well. I found her just um, a complete and utter twat. And I think part of it is, part of it is she's meant to be a bit dippy, you know, a bit,
2: bit kooky, but actually she's quite a genuine person. So she's, and... she's probably meant to be that every kind of character that Zoe now has played in every single thing she's ever been in. I was going to
0: yeah. say, it sounds quite a lot like Juno.
3: Mm, no, not quite. It's more like a Woody Allen movie done badly,
0: I think. Oh,
3: dear. <laughs> not, done, not done badly. I mean, I don't know what you felt there, Steve. I thought it was a really
1: kind of well-made film, but I absolutely fucking hated every single person in the film.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. But I don't think it's aimed at me. I think there's people who will like it. Um, judging by the reaction it's got, there are people who like it. Hmm. I'm just not one of them, and neither are you. No, not at all. And I thought I would um it's only a short film,
3: so you know, I wouldn't make you watch another Transformers film, so we um went for a shorter one this time. <laughs> Completely different to Transformers, but still I think equally as infuriating.
2: Yeah. Um that's fair to say, I think. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. won't say too much more without fear of ruining it for Carol, who is now going to start the quiz. Uh, bring it yeah. Up. Okay, right. Let's
3: let's see. Where shall I start? This is a bit of a scrappy one because I'm kind of all over the place at the minute. Uh, okay. At let's start. At the minute, all the time. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to go in any chronological order. I'm just going to pick some films, starting with the lesser-known ones. So the first one I'm going to go with is, in 2005, was Be Cool.
2: Any guesses? Steve. Uh, was, Steve? Was, was, yeah. was Dwayne The Rock Johnson in that? In his so, it was it Dwayne The Rock Johnson.
0: You've got it, yes, right away. Oh, my right God. Away. <laughs> I'm not even mad. I'm actually quite. I'm I'm actually quite impressed. That's that's amazing.
2: It's not often people get it on the first go.
0: No.
2: I think James got it once on the first go.
3: I I did get it once as well. I got it on Pierce Brosnan. I think James started off with Lawnmower Man, which is basically that, or Gold, Gold, Goldeneye, or one of those sort of films, the Bond films. (laughs) I would have got it. So I was quite chuffed with that one. But yes, now you are in this uh, elusive club exclusive club
2: rather yes so what what else were you going to come out with for his his? I'm guessing you're going to miss things like The Mummy
3: yeah I was going to go on to Get Smart after that which was in 2008 which he played a role in I was then going to move on to stuff like um, The Other Guys which he has a
2: small part at the beginning as just the best bit of that bit of that film I think I probably would have got it at that point you're going to go through loads when he went through his child friendly film phase
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, there's, there's other things he did that I don't know whether you would know him from. So he did, um, what was that animation? He did Planet Fifty
2: One. Wasn't he in? Is, some, wasn't he in a film with Steven Merchant? Uh, I've not made that possible. up. I've not made it's that possible.
3: up. But um, yeah, yeah, then you get onto all of his, you know, popular stuff. Fast and Furious 5 and all that sort of thing. thing Yeah, since
2: he stopped trying to go down the Hulk Hogan route of wrestlers doing kids films.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Made all his money from uh, the Disney movies and now he's back onto action movies, which I'm really pleased about. I think he's a brilliant action film star. You know, as I I suppose almost everyone else with any sense thinks as well.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: I I do like him. I think he's a a great present.
2: Yeah.
3: He's
0: got...
2: A, a lot of charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to the news now. Uh, so, I mean, do not you start us off with the, the news?
3: Yes, well, um, what's quickly becoming our weekly obituary com- column?
2: Um, unfortunately,
3: Pete, yeah, what were you going to say,
2: Steve? I was going to say, if people stop dying, we wouldn't have to do it.
3: Exactly, yeah. But <laughs> unfortunately, uh, the Swiss designer
2: i don't know what his technical term is you know he's an artist uh hr geiger also probably most famous for inventing designing. a counter what was that that, sorry? that joke went over everyone's head didn't it he said his no most... i
0: got it i got it
2: yeah. it's fine most famous for i just in...
0: decided
2: not to laugh yeah. oh and most famous for inventing a counter a geiger counter okay, i'm wasted. Yeah, i'm wasting <laughs> it I'll be be, be quiet for five minutes. You talk about him.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, he was famous mainly, I think, not for a counter, (laughs) but for designing um, the aliens in Alien. Um, or the alien in Alien? There's only one alien in Alien. Um, I think Jerry's talked about him quite a lot in the past. He was a big admirer of his work. He's also um, one of these guys who everything he designed had some kind of uh, some kind of phallus in it. So a lot of the work in Alien, uh, part of what made it so scary uh, was the way that everything kind of it's almost like a rape, isn't it? You know, you've got the face hookers that kind of rape you, and it was, that was all part of his work, and it was all intentional. And I think he's. Um, has a lot of influence on horror films and particularly sci-fi horror as well. Lots of people tried to emulate what he's done, and so it will be, um, it'll be a sad loss,
0: I think. Is the scariest bit of Alien for you guys? Obviously, I have a different point of view on this, but is the scariest bit of Alien for you guys um, the uh, the chest bursting? Because. A lot of people I know think that, and I don't, I don't know. I think it's like a metaphor for childbirth. I think that's why yes. guys don't like it, basically. Because no. it's like the one thing that can't happen to you, but there it is happening mm-hmm. to John Hurt. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah.
3: I think that was, it. that was again, that was intentional, wasn't it? Because of the whole, you know, face huggers that basically have sex with a <laughs> bloke's face, and that's just terrifying. Yeah. I would, yeah, I found that quite disturbing when I saw it. And I was—it it wasn't really until I'd really thought about it a lot afterwards, um, or when I was older, really, not when I was afterwards. When I was quite young, it was just the whole thing was quite frightening. But it was when, when you're older and you rewatch it and you sort of think, "Yeah, I can understand now why that particular bit was so scary." Yeah, it's I not mean, because you've got a monster on your face. It's because of
0: what it is actually doing. Yeah, I, I, I find it obviously disturbing, but it's not the most disturbing part of the whole film for me. Um, to be honest I don't really Actually saying that I don't really know what it, Yeah I think the face hugging bit Is probably the worst But, mm. but um, Yeah But uh, yeah He was also um, And this doesn't really Get enough attention I don't think He also did a lot of um, Like heavy metal album covers mm. uh, Which the last one Was actually only released Like a few weeks ago I think um, I can't remember the name Of the band now It escapes me But it was always really Kind of excellent Heavy metal covers as well So He'll be missed from that from that area as well I think and also props to Forbidden Planet in Shaftesbury Avenue tonight who uh, by the time I walked in there at half past five already had his book out on display in the window <laughs> I was going <laughs> to
3: so, say it's a weird one isn't it because it's not really a coffee table book you don't want people to no, just come round and see it definitely um, not <laughs> some of the images are almost sexually most, explicit most you know?
0: <laughs> of them are really are yeah. let's, let's be honest if you're looking at it that way but uh, yeah it's um, obviously a great contribution Okay, and um,
2: on to other news, better news, I suppose. We've had some glimpses from the, um, well, it's not a Batman film, is it? It's a Superman film, supposedly. It is
0: Batman film, let's be honest.
2: It's yeah, going yeah. it? to be a Batman film, isn't it? It's going to be a Batman film. With his name a bit in of Superman tu- in yeah. it. Yeah, and Superman in the title. but. Yeah. Yeah mainly batman Mm. if they could put superman versus batman but mainly batman in the title then they probably would have done it (laughs) yeah uh but do people really get excited about this i mean we've we've seen pictures of a bit of a batmobile and his bat suit and i'm just like whatever
3: i think it's quite a long way off from the film being released and we're getting these sort of teasers which isn't unusual these days but it does seem a little bit like um I don't know, are people going to be bored of it by the time it comes out? Is it going to start to look dated
0: already? I don't know. No, I think, it's, I think it's a piece of genius. If I was marketing it, it's exactly what I would do. Because otherwise, people who are talking about it, you're always going to have people talking about it in articles and stuff. And all they'll have to go on so far is basically like placeholder pictures of Christian Bale and the previous Batman films. And this way, you've actually got a, a, an image that they can kind of hold on to. I actually, I haven't looked at the image in too much depth, but I did like um, the fact there seems to be a lot of scarring all over his suit. And his suit does, does seem to be a lot, thinner um which kind of indicates that he's been through a some shit and b more shit and he kind of basically feels that he doesn't need armor anymore um and that you know basically he's he's battle hardened enough to actually kind of deal with stuff himself without armor um which I've, i found it a really interesting image but Zack snyder's problem is never image is it let's be Let's be honest.
3: No, he's got a lot
0: of style. Hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's def- yeah. definitely it'll definitely be a stylish film, however it turns out. Yeah, um,
3: but I thought the image. I mean, it did look good, and it, it, like you say, it, it, Snyder's got that in the bag. Really, is you know, it's pretty hard to do um, Batman wrong unless you start putting nipples on the suit. But it looks like he steered clear of of going down the nineties kind of <laughs> shitty Schumacher film route, so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and an athlete looks built as well. He looks massive. Yeah, but
3: well, you know, I don't think it's a particularly um, tight-fitting jumper he's wearing. <laughs> it's pretty really
0: padded. Well, as I said, I haven't looked that closely, Owen. If you have, then that's that's fine. No one's going to judge you. You've yeah, been staring at
1: his abs all afternoon.
2: <laughs> um, Owen, more yeah. more superhero film news, kind of. Uh, I suppose they're superheroes. Are you...
3: Uh, yes. Well, there's two lots of superhero news. We'll go with the one that you, you seem most keen
2: to talk about first. I think it's the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Well, exactly. Being, and yeah. I haven't even dared to look back at an old episode um, on, online of uh, fear of it tarnishing its reputation in my childhood. Um, <laughs> although apparently it's still going. Successfully as well. Yes. It's um, um, doing really well, I yes. think. The Power Rangers... Uh, are meant to be coming back for a movie um, which sounds possibly brilliant potentially terrible
1: it doesn't sound
2: brilliant though does it? yeah but no. it depends who you give it, it to make them, part, make them part of Marvel just sign it all up sign, do <laughs> it, sign the contracts yeah. and get, get them doing it it'll be brilliant the Power
3: Rangers teaming up with the Avengers that
2: would yeah uh, oh
3: my god
2: no thanks but no, like, like, if they teamed up with Guardians Into the Galaxy yeah <laughs> or some like or like some second tier superheroes like
0: yeah
2: yeah not no, the main.
0: That's a
1: terrible idea. Let's, it is let's, terrible. let's never talk
2: about it again. But so anyway, I can't remember anything about Power Rangers except there was a red one and a white one and a green one, a pink one, a yellow one, and a blue one. And well, the... the
3: white one was the green
2: one. What? you have blowing <laughs> my mind now. The white. <laughs> the white one. Tommy. I think the white. Was. Yeah, that's the only name I remember. The white one started off bad and then became the bla- good.
3: The black one was called Zack. Uh, the the blue one was Billy. Uh, what, what you've got me going the Pink one was Kimberly. J- uh, Jason was the red one, and I can't remember the
0: yellow one. I just remember it being overtly racist because the black Power Ranger was actually black, yeah. and the yellow one was a Chinese girl. Yeah, that's that's all I remember. That's my takeaway from uh, Power Rangers. Although she did have a brilliant saber-toothed tiger. She did. Yeah, that. Was I, then she was a leg. Yeah. yeah, basically, yeah, basically, you put them all together and it's just like,
2: oh, okay. <laughs> you can't, you can't function one limb things without a leg. It's a pretty crucial part.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could probably, like, make it have four arms and just, like, normal legs, though, surely. I'd have, just I'd make have...
2: the
0: same as tiger an arm.
2: I'd have, I'd have said you would need the leg more than you need the head and that kind of thing.
0: But just make it out of Meccano or something. Well... And, you know, just have the, have the like, proper functioning robot the is, arm. This
2: is why you weren't the floating head thing in Power Rangers. <laughs> <This is for> <laughs> <mate>. <laughs> or even his little robot mate. Yeah. Anyway, um, so embargoes are up on uh, Godzilla and X-Men Days of Future Past. And, well, what do we think of the reaction so far?
0: It's generally been quite positive for both, hasn't it? it um, I've only been really looking at Days of Future
3: Past. Yeah, um, God- Godzilla's p- has been positive as well, but Days of Future Past, I think that's had um, a lot of people, I think it was mentioned on the Football 365 forum as well, that the um, reviews, some of them have been quite, well, they've been slating it a little bit, saying it's messy, but generally accepting that it's quite an enjoyable film, which is what we could have Hopeful at best, really,
0: I think. I think the ones stating it for being messy are basically saying that if you haven't watched any of the previous films, you might have a problem. But why would you be going to watch this in the first place if you haven't seen any of the other X-Men films? I don't understand. And, uh, yeah, the, the one two-star review I read was in The Telegraph, I think, mm. and uh, basically just went along the lines of, I hate comic book films, rah,
2: yeah, rah, that's, that's rah. A so we very much disregard that. That's a grown-up's paper. They don't like yes.
0: comic books. Yes, The
2: Guardian yeah. loved it. Well, wow, that's a that's a grown-up the, paper as well. The Guardian also loved Ted and called James a snob. That's for right. not liking Ted. They're really right, half, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, so, and and Godzilla has been quite well re- received as well, which is out the end of this week. Yeah, and
3: I'm sure um, Matt can't be with us today because he's still too busy frantically
0: masturbating over all these positive <laughs> reviews. I just kind of had a mental image of him flapping his arms on, up and down. But, you know, your one works as well.
2: That's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah one of the two. Anyway, we're going to end part one here. And uh, in part two, we'll be back with what we've been watching, which this week features some uh, new releases. Part two, then, uh, what we've been watching. Um, we'll have a look at the, the films that we have uh, seen in the last week or so that might not necessarily be new releases, although this week... Two of them are, aren't they, Carol? Yes. Yes. So I have seen this week, uh, I have seen The Wind
0: Rises, and also literally this evening I have seen Frank. uh, So I'll talk about The Wind Rises first, which is the um, latest studio Ghibli film, and it's the last film by Hayao Miyazaki, who is um, basically like the godfather of uh, of Ghibli films. If If you've ever watched one, it's likely he's directed it. Well, not so much in recent years. So he's said a few times that he's going to be retiring. But this time, apparently, it's finally it. Um, so The Wind Rises is a um, story of a young boy who has um, quite severe sight difficulties, and he wants to be involved in kind of um, aeronautical endeavours. But his eyesight presents him from being a pilot, but he can still design airplanes. Um, so he goes, uh, goes and designs airplanes. But unfortunately, he's in Japan during the time uh, between the First and Second World Wars, basically, where Japan just seems really eager on starting a fight with everyone in the world. And so uh, the only job he can really find, uh, because they're also dirt broke, uh, the only job he can really find is, is working for um, a company who, who provides the military with planes. Um, it's it's a really nice film. I'm a big Ghibli fan. Uh, it's not their best by a long shot. And if I'm brutally honest, it is quite long. It's, it's over two hours long, which for an animated film is, is pretty... Really lengthy, I think. Uh, there's probably about half an hour that could have been cut out, I think. But you know, as it's Miyazaki's last, apparently, again, um, you can kind of you can kind of not blame him really for for wanting to kind of drag it out as long as he does. And it's it's not you know it's not a dragging film by any point. There is a bit in the middle where it sags a little bit, but it never feels like oh my god, please end this now. Um, it's really it looks beautiful. Um, it's it's really lovely looking film and you know people who are particularly into aeroplanes will really appreciate the um the effort that's gone into portraying planes of that time so basically from the 20s through to the 40s which was when um airplanes were basically literally taking off if you'll pardon the pun um but uh, it, it's a lovely looking film it's, it's probably one of the best looking films it's not ghibli's strongest film um but as a as a farewell it's it's really nice i think and it's just kind of really bittersweet, um, especially where he's talking about how artists are... There's a bit where he's talking about how artists are only created for 10 years, and you think Miyazaki's been going on for, I don't know, 30 or 40 years now, um, which is just absolutely amazing. But if you're a Ghibli fan, you you will really, really like it, I think.
3: I really wanted to see it in the cinema. Um, it's not showing anywhere near me, but I I kind of think that it's one of these films that... You can kind of forgive him for being a bit self-indulgent. With yeah, he's talking about a topic that he he adores. You know, he loves planes, airplanes, and you know, Studio Ghibli is named after them. And he did sort of similar thing with Porco Rosso. Have you seen? Yeah. Yeah. Where he, there is a bit in there which is very self-indulgent, right? He just likes to draw a lot of planes and see them whizzing about the sky and stuff, which is fine. But in, it sounds like from the wind rises, it, the story is foregoing a little bit of, um, in favour of him just explaining why planes are brilliant and why he loves planes. Yeah, Does that sound about fair. Or?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably fair. It's it's basically like his, but you know, um, John Lasseter from Pixar made cars yeah. because he loves uh, the cars racing the ones going turning left for 150 miles um but it, it's like that but better basically it's like his vanity project but it, it is much better than cars um and it, yeah it is a very enjoyable film um yeah you can't really kind of fault it for, for being that long if it was kind of a, a a normal output of ghibli then you could say then you would probably pick a few more holes in it but as it's his last film you can't really you can't really fault him for going that way most of their
3: films are quite long, anyway. Though I think the majority are over two hours, aren't
0: they? Um, I don't know. I've never, definitely never felt they were over two hours. Um, maybe it's just because I, because I happened to catch, because I was going to cinema. and It's only the second film have ever, only the second Ghibli film I've ever watched in the cinema, actually. Um, so I kind of looked at how long it was, yes. just as a matter of course. Um, but I've certainly never kind of realised that most of the others were two hours long. But um, yeah, it's it, it's recommended anyway. Um, if you like that sort of thing. And uh, the English voice cast was really good, actually. Um, I had a choice between seeing it subtitled or dubbed, and I went for dubbed um, just because it was showing at a more convenient time, and the, and the English um, voice cast was pretty good.
3: Yeah, we've had this debate before, I think, about dubbed um, <laughs> yeah. versus dubbed, and I personally don't really care. It wasn't way. really a
0: debate. It was just me trying to get a rise out of you that it wasn't showing. Up <laughs> at all, and I had okay. the choice. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the is the um, is plays Shiro the main guy in the uh, in the story, um, and he's very good. And it's got a great supporting cast. I I never have a problem with Ghibli's um dubbing, to be honest. They normally have such a good voice cast. Um, sometimes when you watch um dubbed films from over, from overseas, then they're, they're not great. They don't have the voice cast to match up to it. But I think Ghibli always always deliver the the goods there, to be honest. Yep. Um, And so the second film, which I literally just got back maybe an hour ago from seeing this evening, was Frank. Um, So this is a film about Frank Sidebottom, who, for our younger listeners, um, was basically a guy, um, a Mancunian who went around with a paper mache head all the time. And uh, he did some songs and he was a very, very eccentric guy. He died, um, I'm not sure, he died not very long ago, did he? I think it was about four or five years ago. Um, But he was just, he was completely mad, basically. Um, But the um, journalist, John Ronson, I didn't realise this at the time, but he was actually in his band, and he wrote a newspaper article, um, I think, after Frank died. Um, And and it's been turned into this film, which is kind of, it's taken liberties with the truth quite a lot, because for one, Frank is no longer Mancunian, he's American. uh, Which I don't know how much fuss this has caused. But uh, it, it didn't, didn't really affect me that much because, I, as I said, I, I don't really remember much of Frank Sidebottom. I remember him very vaguely um, from my childhood, but I don't really have the attachment to him that I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, so the, um, ti- the title character, John, is uh, invited on, to, on tour with, uh, with the band that Frank uh, kind of anchors, and um, it kind of goes from there, really, and that—that's really it. Um, and they end up through various means of going by going to South by Southwest. It's—I—I I really enjoyed it. I can see why some people may not enjoy it. It's a very what is like Frank himself. It's a very odd thing. Um, basically, it kind of—it kind of sidesteps the whole idea of, of whether someone who goes around wearing a paper mache head at all times, is actually mentally ill um, and kind of just plays up his um, eccentricities and his creativity. Um, And there isn't much of a plot to to speak of, but I I did quite enjoy it, and I quite enjoyed spending time with the characters, um, apart from Maggie Gyllenhaal, who I found quite annoying, but I think you were meant to find her annoying. Um, I can't remember the name of her her character right now. But, uh, yeah, overall, it was... Just an in, it was an interesting film and it's quite funny in places um, I would say that if you like kind of very off the wall films then I, I would say probably go and watch it
3: It seems really bizarre
0: Ota. It is really bizarre, there's no, there's no getting around it you can't, you just can't get around it the the main main actor wears a paper mache head for 95% of the film uh,
3: Does he take it off?
0: Oh god, sorry
3: Oh, uh, okay <laughs>
0: so okay the main actor wears a uh, paper mache for the whole film and um yeah you just can't get around that and, and you know in fact there's a really nice bit where uh john is just kind of sitting in the back of the van just saying you know why doesn't he take the head off you know, just basically elucidating what everyone else says and there's a couple of really nice bits in it where they kind of deal with how he gets through passport control and things like that with this giant paper mache head on um yeah, it, it is it is enjoyable. I I did really enjoy it. It's not particularly long either, it's only about an hour and a half, I think. Um I felt the ending was a bit uh I don't know, I felt the ending was a little bit kind of bizarre in a way. Um I kind of didn't like the idea that they, they went the whole nine yards with it and I don't really want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't already seen it, obviously. Um but I didn't really I wasn't really keen on where they went with the ending. But up until then, it was a it was a good film. Very very odd, but you know it was still pretty good.
2: Okay, uh, Owen, what have you seen this week?
3: Uh, okay, uh, well I'll come on to the specific film I'm going to review in just a minute. Um, but first, I think it's worth giving it some some context. So uh, Thursday last week, I had what can only be described as a life changing evening of watching films. Um, started off with me finishing off watching um, the debut of Robert Rodriguez uh, it's the cult indie Mexican crime thriller b movie El mariachi um, I started to watch it the night before actually uh, in bed but I was I could tell I, I was too tired to really give it enough um, concentration so I just decided to wa- I watched as much of it as I could before thinking, right, I'm going to have to quit and I'll give it my full attention tomorrow. And then I'm glad I did because it was a very entertaining film. Very silly, um, very typical Rodriguez if you've ever seen any of his films, like, you know, Just Till Dawn is brilliant and that sort of thing. Um, but it was very good. So uh, straight after finishing El Mariachi, I had a quick look on Netflix and found that the next film in his Mexican trilogy... Um, which is the much larger budget sequel, Desperado, uh, was available to stream. And that was pretty much the moment I decided what I'd be doing for the rest of the evening. And, my God, it was brilliant. I've never seen Desperado before, but it had. It was it was just fantastic. It had everything from El Mariachi, everything that was good about El Mariachi, cranked up to a much higher, uh, more insane level um, than El Mariachi had. And it, it kind of carries on from where the previous movie ended. Um, although there's some slight revisions, but not worth me going into at the moment. Um, And basically, the the, the other main change is it stars Antonio Banderas as the mariachi who replaces uh, Carlos Gallardo um, as the once mild-mannered mariachi who's mistaken for a convict on the loose and caught in between uh, some gang wars and stuff. Now, this time, he's on the lookout for revenge against the gangs that have killed his woman and uh it's yeah it's a very simple story but it's also quite convoluted at the same time but it's 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 really well told actually um it's just one of these films you <laughs> you can ignore the fact that it's a, a bit of a mess because it's such fun uh, it's really good fun and it stars a lot of other famous people you know where whereas our mariachi was a very low budget film with lots of um unknown mexican actors in it um this is you know For for a start, it's all in uh, American, or mostly in American rather than than in Mexican. Um, And so, therefore, you've got all these big stars in there. You've got Steve Buscemi, who uh, features as Antonio Banderas' mate and provides what is one of the best openings to a film I've seen in ages. Um, Basically narrates a story to this dingy little Mexican bar about Antonio Banderas and about his reputation. But it's just so damn... Cool. It's really. It, I just sat there thinking, this is just. I'm gonna love this film. I've only seen the first five minutes, but I am absolutely gonna adore this film. I can tell. Um, but you, then you also get people in there like Quentin Tarantino, um, but uh, as well as some other, you know, Mexican um, or, or Latin actors. So you uh, Selma Hayek is in it, teach Marin, Danny Trejo, amongst others. Um, they're all involved, and they're all also fantastic as well. Um, but yeah, like I say, the story is a bit more complex. A little bit more complex. Um, but it's all the better for it. Um, uh, well, mostly, mostly it's, it goes a little bit squiffy in the middle. Um, but then it kind of more than rescues itself towards the end of the film with this completely over-the-top action set piece, which, uh, as I say, it's just a ton of fun. The whole film is just brilliant fun. I had a hoot watching it. Um, definitely much more so than Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is the final part of the trilogy. Um, which was I had seen that before, some years ago, about 10 years ago I think I saw it, um, and I did like Once Upon a Time in Mexico at the time, um, but yeah, I rewatched it after Desperado, and yeah, oh dear, it's a bit rubbish, but um, particularly when it's compared to Desperado, but yeah, I really enjoyed Desperado, and I really enjoyed El Mariachi, they're two very good films. Um, have either of you two seen Desperado before? No, no I
2: haven't. no.
3: No. I've
0: seen either of them, I don't think, or any of the three.
3: Do you like Robert Rodriguez in general, or have you never really... Um,
0: um, you know, did, you I'm not know, sure I've seen a lot of his stuff, actually. Um, did he direct he did... From Dusk Till Dawn?
3: From Dusk Till Dawn, yeah, he did Sin City,
0: Planet Terror. Yes, well, I don't know whether I like Planet Terror or whether it was just really good compared to Death <laughs> probably, <laughs> right, which is okay. probably the wor- one of the worst films I've ever seen, and I've seen some rubbish. I, I don't mind Death Proof. It's all so cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. But Planet true.
3: Terror is much better than... Death
0: yes, Terror. it is a million times better. That's
3: yeah. so yeah. one of my favourite uh, film quotes as well. I'm mean, going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. <laughs>
0: um,
3: <laughs> yeah, oh, well, okay, that's fair enough. I think if you like stuff like From the Still Dawn, or if you like Sin City or, or Planet Terror, then, yeah, give Desperado a go. It's yeah. well, well worth your time.
0: Sounds pretty good. Is it on Netflix?
3: All three of them are on Netflix.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. I
2: might have to seek that out. it's brilliant. Okay, and the film that I have seen this week is going to descend into a, a rant on kind of type <laughs> of film. But I watched um, both, this one was on film four, it was Frozen, not the children's Disney thing, the one where some idiots get stuck on a ski lift. Um, and I also watched The Crazies, which is a 2010 remake of some older horror film about some town that gets. By George A. Romero, yeah. Yeah. Th- he did the original. Mm, I probably should have watched that instead. Um, <laughs> but, but these these are both films in what is probably the horror or thriller genre. Yeah. It's meant to be tense. It's meant to be scary. You you meant it's meant to shit you up a bit, and it doesn't. Neither of them do. In in Frozen, um, the three characters are morons. They are not. They are not likable in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I don't know why I watched it to the end. I could have turned it off and done something far more productive or more interesting or anything. But I did watch it to the end. I kind of did by a point want to know what happened at the end. Um, but it was just. <laughs> I think yeah. with
3: Frozen, I know you've made the point that the characters are all these unlikable idiots but I kind of got the impression they're meant to be a bit
2: unlikable just so that you won't mind seeing all these terrible things happen there is that but I mean at no point did I feel any kind of tension in that film you're obviously meant to feel some kind of tension I did I did wince a bit when one of the one of the characters injured themselves in a really stupid way I mean I don't know how he I don't care if I spoil this film people it's been out a while anyway Right, he jumped off a ski lift that was far too high for him to jump off safely, and he broke both his legs. That made me wince a bit because it did look quite painful. But other than that, there's no tension in the film. There was nothing. And then the same with the crazies. It was, it was just a by the books horror slasher film. And my my rant comes from there's just too many of them. There just seems to be churning out year after year. So many of these, they're either remakes or new films just going along the same plot as an old one. And it's, they're meant to be a horror or a thriller or a slasher film, and they're meant to shit you off, the bit, but they're not. They're just boring and buy the books and doing nothing new. And I want a film that's going to scare me or make or make me feel tense, and it's just it's just not happening. And I know Owen watches quite a lot of of foreign films and seeing that and that and they seem to be doing more. You know, if I watched foreign films, there'd be more of that kind of thing. But it's not me being an idiot or uncultured. I tend to do other things while I'm watching a film. So if a film's subtitled, I can't really do other things while I'm watching it, which is why I don't tend to watch so many. But, you know, generally English or American um, or English language films are just making such boring and predictable horror films or, you know, don't scare people or don't make you feel uneasy or tense. And it's just really frustrating. um,
3: It depends where you look. I think if you go to these big... Uh, American horror, thrillers whatever you want to call them then perhaps, yeah there is a, um, they're all very similar, they all follow the same sort of formula um, or the same kind of blueprint almost and it's just a, yeah, but I, I thought The Crazies was decent I think it's another one that's a bit stupid um, but at the same time some of the kind of scenarios that are in there I thought were quite creative um, I didn't find myself wanting to pause the film to go and get a drink or do something else, you know. I, I kind of sat through it to the end, and I thought it was <laughs> The highest <laughs> played, Yeah, but <laughs> I just mean, like, in a rebuttal a rebuttal to what um, Steve's just saying, really, with the horror film, it's, I wanted to stick with this. I wasn't tempted to look at my phone or anything like that, which does happen
2: with some of the more clichéd horror films that, that come out. But, but you understand my point about this type of film in general. I don't think I've been really shitted up by a film or made to, on the edge of my seat by a film of this kind of genre since possibly, I think, Paranormal Activity, Paranormal Activity 2, and then it all got a bit samey, and The Fourth Kind. And see, after that, it's just been kind of, Ugh. I'm not you're not doing your job as a film.
3: Yeah, but at the same time, that could just be, you know, you're getting a bit desensitised to it.
2: I think that is a problem
3: with most most horrors now. I've seen so many that I don't get scared by any of them.
2: Uh, That is a possibility. Um, I mean, there's some that are really, they've got really good atmospheres, and then for a little bit afterwards, you feel a bit creeped out. Or, you know, I think I said at the time when we, when I watched Dark Skies, I can't remember if you watched it at the same time as me, but I said it was yeah. one of those films that just makes you go a little bit quicker up the stairs to bed. Yeah, yeah, longer. I agree with you on Dark Skies. That was that was that was quite a good one in in regards to that. But it's just there's just not many coming out of kind of mainstream films, and it's just all a bit. Yeah. You, know, you, you I want to watch something like that I want to watch something that's made me not really want to go to sleep, it's going to keep me up and it just doesn't happen, I've been looking for one for ages, like a new one, it just doesn't, doesn't happen
3: I think the uh, point as well about the, um, you know, foreign cinema making these films quite uh, edgy and quite different and particularly different to what's been produced in America for example um, it's true but I think they're they're starting. To, well, the ones I tend to watch tend, have started to follow the same sort of pattern as well. Not the same pattern as what's been produced in America, but the same pattern of they're going to be grotesque. They're going to have these uh, really uncomfortable scenes in to the point where no, it's just not uncomfortable to watch it. It's just mm. expected, you know. Martyrs was good, and uh, you know, in that sense. But then you get you get things that try to do exactly the same same thing you know human centipede as well was one i think that was was it a dutch film or something like that. that's terrible it is utter bollocks it's just because it's got one particular thing in it that's slightly uh different or slightly out there well it's not slightly out there is it human centipede it's very out there but it's you know it just relies on that one gimmick and i think that's wearing a bit thin for me as well at the minute but yeah i mean crazies and frozen i thought they were quite enjoyable for what they were
2: um, Crazy's more so than than Frozen. Frozen, I just found just boring. Um, maybe, maybe it's because I was worked on film four and they had the throw adverts everywhere, which makes a sort of hour and a half film, two hours plus. And you know, yeah, maybe it's that's not good for tension
3: building. Anyway, is
2: it? No, maybe that has something to do with it. But in, in general, I think my point still stands. Um, and on that note, we'll end part two. In part three, we have got the triple bill. um... Directorial debuts. So yes, our triple bill for this week, return of triple bill, is directorial debuts. They could be um, the best, the best ones, uh, the worst ones, one from a particular genre, anything like that. Um, so Owen, this was your idea, I believe. So why don't you kick us off? Shall so I start, then? Yeah. Um,
3: okay, yeah. I mean, the idea was basically just to pick any any three directorial, directorial debuts that we wanted to do. So, the first one I thought, I'll get it out of the way, first of all. Um, it may be a slightly odd choice for me, um, but it's Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero. Uh, I had to include it, really. So it's probably called, my favourite called, film of all time.
2: you've gone for best. best to start with, yeah. yeah. I've gone
3: for the first one is my favourite, and then the next two don't follow the same pattern right uh i'll come on to those yeah but yeah night of the living dead um not yeah it's not just my favorite film either it's like it's just such an important movie in terms of its influence um and legacy on the on particularly on the horror genre um it's a relatively cheaply made horror film by a doc, director who at the time uh had only really made tv adverts i think i've said on the past as well he didn't want to be pigeonholed as a horror genre director or film writer it just seemed like the easiest and simplest film to make at the time um but yeah it turned out to be this this masterpiece um and almost single-handedly changed what a zombie was without ever referring to its creatures as zombies you know um before before night the living dead they were just kind of Victims of like voodoo magic, um, or they were infected by some kind of parasite. Uh, this was the first film that really turned them into the animated shuffling corpses that they they are now. Uh, but yeah, the story itself, it, like I say, it, it didn't have a lot of money, so it was something relatively basic—just a group of people forced to hold up in a country house during um, during a zombie outbreak. But it's it kind of virtually impossible to improve on I think I don't think it misses a beat at any particular point in the film it's just all the way through Uh, it's solid it's well made it's it's scary going back to the the point we were talking about earlier you don't get films that scare you in the same way as Night of the Living Dead does um, anymore and I don't think um, I mean yeah it's had a lasting legacy lots of other directors have uh, either tried to do the same thing as he did uh, either by copying what he did, or um, some people have even tried to kind of remake *Night of the Living Dead*, but none have quite uh, done it as successfully as George A. Romero did with his debut. Um, none of them have had the same impact, and it's yeah, just all credit really goes to George A. Romero and what he did with that film, from the writing through to the directing, everything about it. I love, I love.
0: It's Night so creepy Dead. as well. Even now, mm. it's it's terrifying. It is. I'm not sure that, you know, even The Exorcist now doesn't really have the same impact as it had in the 70s. I'm not really sure that, that many horror films will have the same impact 40 years after they're released as, as Night of the Living Dead will.
3: Yeah, and I think part of that is down to how much it has influenced the genre. You know, people stealing all of his ideas, or not necessarily stealing, but being inspired by his ideas, if we're going to be a bit more um, uh, friendly. Yeah, they, they it's kind of deadened the impact of some of the scenes in Night of the Living Dead. But I still think it's a scary film. I didn't particularly like it the first time I ever saw it, which was a weird um, thing for it to now be my favourite film. But it, I think it grew on me. And then the more I appreciated it, I think it, what happened was I watched it one time after thinking it was a bit rubbish. And then I did get a bit scared by it. And I thought, oh, OK, it is really good, actually, isn't it? And then the more I watched it, the more I could appreciate the other things he was doing and, you know, how it's quite an allegorical film and, it's just a very clever movie, um, and yeah, I love it. So it's my, it's my favourite directorial debut and possibly my favourite ever film. My second choice, uh, I wanted to pick something different, something that wasn't just simply one of my favourite directorial debuts, and I've gone in completely the opposite direction by choosing a directorial debut um, that is not just a fucking shit film, um, but it also won an Oscar, unbelievably. And if you haven't guessed what it is by that, it's Paul Haggis' uh, excruciatingly patronising debut in 2004. It's Crash. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I've already praised Night of the Living Dead countless times on, on the podcast in the past, uh, there's not too much point for me repeating exactly why, why I hate Crash, because I've ranted about it on a fair few occasions, but it is absolute garbage. How it won an Oscar, and and the... And how it won um, Turtleneck and suit jacket Wearing Paul Haggis A nomination for Best Director Is just beyond me I kind of Kind of want to respect it For at least attempting To have a message about equality And racial harmony And blah, blah 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 But it's just dreadful I really hate it It's got a made for TV vibe about it The whole production Is just It just stinks It's like sitting through A two hour lecture from a regular Daily Mail reader who's read The Guardian for the first time and had an epiphany. And who's going to tell you all about how Isn't equality brilliant? You know, Yes, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. I just absolutely hate Crash. I hate it. and I'm not at all disappointed that Haggis' career hasn't really gone anywhere since this either. I hate Crash. I hate Crash.
0: I, I think I can pinpoint the exact moment when I knew I wasn't going to like Crash. And I think it's right at the beginning... Which, is, which wasn't which wasn't promising which is where ludicrous and some other person i can't remember the name of the actor right now uh were having a um discussion about uh how people are kind of really intolerant of, of different races and stuff and they have these stereotypical views of other races and they promptly go and rob someone and i was just like well that's not helping is it no. so uh yeah that yeah I'm, I'm totally on board with that decision it's just such a patronising
3: movie as well everyone oh everyone's horrible to each other yeah right ra- these people are all racist to each other you've got white people being racist to black people you've got black people who are racist about white people and you've got uh mexican people latin people who are all racist as well and then at, at half through it just goes oh yeah but people can be really nice to each other really you can have the white person who's nice to the black person the black person nice to the what wa- nice to the white person and oh, i just fucking hated it it was just it was weird actually because i never really gave it much thought i didn't really yet plan on watching it but then my mother-in-law loved it and she said i should watch it because i like the help which was also you know a film about um, people dealing with racism so all right okay we'll sit down and watch that and i just sat through the whole thing it's done silence thinking how can anybody love this film how i don't get it but it's um yeah that's my second choice so i'll calm myself down and i'll move on to my final choice um and I know it's another film that has been talked about to death on the podcast, uh, particularly by me, probably mostly by me, but I had to include it purely because um it was slightly different to my other two two choices, in that it's a one hit wonder. Um not that it was intended to be a one hit wonder and it wasn't even a hit when it was released. Um but it's Charles Lawton's or Lawton, I think say his name, Charles Lawton's film, um from nineteen fifty five, The Night of the Hunter. Uh, it actually caused uh, Charles Lawton to give up directing after N- Night of the Hunter came in. It was that poorly received, and the criticism he got was so severe that he just thought, fuck this, whole Game of us. I'm quitting the whole business. So he didn't make any more after this, uh, which is a dreadful shame. Um, it stars Robert Mitchum. He's an escaped convict um, and a religious nutcase. Not that all people are religious and nutcases of course just that it's something of a fanatic uh, but yeah anyway i'll dig myself out of that hole later so he uh marries the widow of his former cellmate uh, in order to steal her ex-husband's hidden loot he thinks he's the, the husband's hidden some loot that he got after in a bank and he wants to find it so uh yeah but the film itself is kind of it's inspired by all the german expressionist silent movies so you, you know things like nosferatu and the cabinet of dr caligari it's it plays out like a film noir fairy tale um and it's it's fantastic it, 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 the first time i saw it was i reviewed Afterwards, I reviewed it on the podcast. I think it must have been middle of 2012 sometime. And I said at the time, it is just uh, uh, mesmerizing the whole way through. It's got an absolutely tense atmosphere all the way through. It is very creepy as well. Uh, Robert Mitchum is brilliant in it. It's also got uh, Lillian Gish, who's one of my favorite silent film actresses. And she's much older here. You know, it was 1955. But she, she was also brilliant here as well. Uh, and yeah, it's just a real shame. That Charles Loughton, or Lawton never did anything else because um, it's excellent it is really excellent um, it's maybe not quite as much of a personal favorite uh, to me as Night of the Living Dead is but it's kind of safe to say it's about 100 million times better than Crash so yeah those are my three choices really um, there were other things I did actually have two other films that I was going to use in this section and then I quickly realised after checking IMDb they weren't debuts. I was going to pick Mean Streets for Scorsese and Alien for Ridley Scott and it never occurred to me before they'd made stuff before those films. I was devastated. But I think the three that I've gone for are okay.
2: Okay. I've taken a different approach. I've gone for three awful, three bad directorial debuts. Um, Say now, uh, I haven't seen any of the films that I'm going to mention. (laughs) <laughs> um, but when I tell you what they're about, then it's probably quite understandable why I have not.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
2: Now this this first one is uh, M Night Shyamalan is uh uh he he did do one kind of film before this, but it didn't really get a kind of big release. It's only really released at festivals, so this is his kind of feature film debut. It was a year before The Sixth Sense, which really. Uh, kick-started his, his career, uh, and it was called Wide Awake, and it's a comedy-drama starring uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, OK. And, this, this is new information. Uh, yes. <laughs> this is this this bit here is going to be full of new information for you. Um, it sounds awful. Can't describe it to us. Apparently, it was a comedy he hoped would also make people cry. Um, I can't comment. I can only tell you what the reception was, which is 4.8 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't suggest good things. Um, apparently, during his this is just reading from Wikipedia the plot during his year in the fifth grade, ten-year-old Joshua begins a personal search to find answers about life and death. Yeah, good good start for a comedy. A child looking for answers about death. Um, and it goes on from there, and I think it involves. It involves religion. And wasn't really received very well. I'm not surprised by the, by the sound. Effects. Also starred Dennis Leary. Who was in uh, the first Spider-Man film. The reboot wasn't he? he was, yeah he was yeah. Uh,
0: Captain Stacy. Yeah.
2: Um, He's been in a
0: few other things. Like, apart from that though. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> I, like, I like the description of. I was just looking through the actors in the film. See if I recognise them from anything. And the child actor in the film. Is Joseph Cross, and uh, his his little biography about his career says in Wikipedia he began work as a child actor. Well, I'm guessing most actors did begin their work as a child actor. Probably most. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is M Night's name. I never. I'm just going to give up now. I just can't. I'm not going to pronounce that <laughs> ever. Uh, second right. one is James Cameron, um, maker of many. Big films. I'm sure I don't need to list them. Do you want me to list them? Uh, I think I think we're we'll okay. Yeah, we we'll all be know who he is, yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, this one, his his first feature film uh, directing credit came for Piranha 2: The Spawning, <laughs> the 1981 <laughs> sequel to uh, the 1978 Piranha. Um, yeah so bad, he, by the sounds of it, by his own admission, he got fired by the Italian producer after two weeks, and he has tried to expunge this film from uh, his records and denies it, although it, he can't deny it. It does follow him around, and people do bring it up in interviews every now and again. Um, although he will try and deny its existence or deny his, his role in it. He can't. It's... um, Yes... By the sounds of it, uh, piranhas evolve into the ability to fly. Um, (laughs) It just sounds awful on every level. The the best thing about it is the Spanish film poster where the title translates as Vampires of the Sea. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like the original piranha
3: no intention of watching this even if no.
2: James Cameron's name is attached to it it no. just sounds not a turd. Um here's the one I teased everyone with uh, at the start Ben Affleck's directorial debut 16 minute short film titled <laughs> I killed my lesbian wife hung her on a meat hook and now I have a free picture deal at Disney oh
0: come on do short films really count <laughs> you've just you've just discounted Shyamalan for having something that only showed at a festival
2: if, it, if it's got a title like that it's in <laughs> I can't leave it out, can I? People need to know about this. No, that's fair enough. Uh, he, he himself, about the project, said, it's horrible, it's atrocious. And and that's it. <laughs> um, I think the title pretty much explains the, the, the plot. Although I don't know where the um, the, the free picture at Disney comes into it all. Um, it just sounds <laughs> awful. It was received awfully. I don't even know if you could find it on YouTube. I've not bothered to look. I don't think I will anytime soon. So that's three bad directorial debuts. Now, Carol, what are you going to tell us about?
0: Um, I, I basically went for um, debuts from people who were previously known better for other things. So I have gone for a triple bill. Um, and my first choice was George Clooney for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I've, I've found out early was released in 2002, so it's already 12 years old, it really doesn't feel that old. Um, it's, it's horrible when things like that creep up on you. Um, but it's basically, it's the story of um, an American game show host, very famous American game show host, I think it was in the 50s if I remember correctly, um, played by Sam Rockwell, who's always excellent. And he may or may not be an assassin for the CIA, uh, kind of in between hosting game shows. And it's it's really it's a really enjoyable film um it George Clooney's in it as well as, as his kind of informant I think it was um I haven't seen it for quite a long time but um it was a really kind of snappy film unfortunately I don't think personally George Clooney's um directing since then has really lived up to it um I think the last one I saw of his was the Ides of March which was quite a plodding film uh could have been could have been a lot better but um, yeah, Confessions Insanity just mine is, is really good, just mainly basically for Sam Rockwell's performance, because he is he's good in everything, let's be honest, um, and he was really good in this. Um, so my second choice was uh, one that I saw last year, these are all quite recent films actually thinking about it, um, was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut, Don John, oh, wow. um, which I saw last year, and obviously he's... Much much better known for being a, an actor, and also I think a musician as well, um, but but most famous for being an actor. And it's a story of I think I reviewed it on the um, on the podcast actually from Film Festival last year, from London Film Festival. And it's about um, a guy who's just basically obsessed with porn, and uh, he finds finds this girl, but she's kind of equally obsessed with uh, you know having a nice life, and having material things. And it's kind of it's it's more of a more of a one to watch really I think. Uh, not, it's not a brilliant film, but I'm quite interested to see what he does in the future with a kind of when he gets more experience at directing and stuff. I know obviously he's been around for a long, long time now, um, but yeah, it's a really enjoyable film. It had had quite a lot to say. It kind of got a bit muddled at the end. It had kind of a slacker in ending, um, but it was it did have quite a lot of interesting things to say about the consumption of media both by men and women in today's age. Um, And my final one is uh, Sam Mendes for American Beauty. Uh, Sam Mendes, before this film, was uh, a theatre director, and this was his first feature film, and he won millions of Oscars for it, which was was lovely. I remember seeing this in the cinema, and I was just absolutely blown away. It's fantastic. Sometimes, I think, when you get either films that originally were theatre productions... Or theatre directors, it can feel overly staged. Um, when you get a film like that, I'm thinking specifically of *The Deep Blue Sea*. Here, I did feel find that overly staged. Um, the, ter- the, the film of *The Terrace Vatican Play*, but uh, *American Beauty* is just—it's amazing. It's, it's so good. I watched it a couple of months ago, and it still holds up now. Kevin Spacey, I absolutely adore, and um, it, it's just a really, really, really good film. Obviously, if you've seen it more than once, the twist ending will kind of become duller so the whole kind of there's red herrings being thrown out at the end as to who's done, what well, yeah who's committed the murder, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm giving anything away there by saying that because it's uh, said right in the first kind of 30 seconds but um, yeah it's a it's a really really good film and I think Sam Mendes has really lived up to it since then as well with um, Road to Perdition uh, amongst other things Skyfall as well. And Sky, yeah, oh god, how could I forget Skyfall? So, yeah, that was, um, yeah, so yes, yeah, so this, this is basically the first steps on the road to becoming an excellent film director, one of my favourites. I'll always go and watch a Sam Mendes film.
2: Okay, so that's all. Oh no, did we have James's suggestions, Owen?
3: Uh, you're asking me? Yes, we did have James's suggestions. If you give me two seconds, I will find them for you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, yes, I've got them here. Actually, there was one that I'm going to read at last because I was considering mentioning it anyway. But um, yes, so uh, he said his theme, uh, it doesn't get better than this. Three directors who haven't or have never topped their debut films. Uh, In third place, he's got Kevin Smith uh, with Clerks. He says, although I think Chasing Amy and Dogma are intelligent, funny and unexpectedly mature films, nothing can match the freshness and quotability of his first film um, I would agree with James there I think Clerk. well I don't know Dogma's probably his best Clerks is probably his most funny uh, and it is a brilliant debut have you two seen Clerks Do you like Clerks yeah, yeah I've never actually come across
0: anyone else who really liked Dogma either I really liked Dogma I, Dogma. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was good very clever <laughs> it got absolutely slated I remember like no one no one else really seems to like it but I really enjoyed it
3: Yeah, so his second choice uh, is Brian Singer for The Usual Suspects. Uh, He said, I often forget that that the director of some great and some terribly mediocre blockbusters started out his career with this timeless crime classic, a perfect film in my eyes. Um, I don't know if it's a perfect film, personally, but it is very high in the IMDb Top 250. Is it in the Top 5 or Top 10?
0: It should be. It was one of my original picks was it? Uh, before James nicked it. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great, it's such a good film. It's just, it's fantastic. Again, you would think that actually you would think that the um, repeated viewings would kind of lessen the impact of it, but it doesn't at all. Yeah, I think it's
3: one of those. I've only seen it once, but I can imagine it being one of those films where even though you know about Kaiser Soze, um,
0: You go through it looking for the clues. Yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. And it's just as good. Yeah, I bet it is, yeah. So uh, his first choice um, is Orson Welles with Citizen Kane. Uh, He says, As good as Touch of Evil and The Magnificent Ambersons are, Citizen Kane is simply one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. And that's not even taken into account that it was a directorial directorial debut of a cocky 26-year-old blessed with a touch of genius. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad he's picked Citizen Kane. Uh, and I'm glad we get to sort of pull it into the podcast because it is a very important film um, for, you know, what it did to movies at the time and what it did for sort of indie filmmaking almost, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant film as well, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Although I like, kind of disagree with you said, as good as Touch of Evil and The Magnificent Ambersons are... um. I wasn't that keen on The Magnificent Ambersons, but apparently there's a lot of history about why it's as rough and odd as it is, because he basically didn't make half of it. So, yeah, Magnificent Ambersons I'm not too sure about, but Citizen Kane is definitely um, possibly the single greatest directorial debut, if we're honest. Not because it's the best film, but because of what it did for cinema. So, yeah, well done,
2: James. I'm glad you picked it. It had to be mentioned by someone. Okay, and now just time to uh, finish off the podcast by recommending uh, some films to watch during the week. I'm going to start off with uh, Channel 5 on Monday at 10 o'clock in preparation for the sequel coming out in a few weeks, 21 Jump Street from 2012.
0: Good choice. Uh, I was so pleasantly surprised by that film.
2: And the, and the, I, uh, the, tra- the trailer uh, for the sequel looks pretty good as well.
0: Yes, it does, yeah. I had no intention of watching that film and I was persuaded to watch it and I was just really pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was great. It was so
3: funny. Uh, yeah, I only watched it because Steve, Jerry and James kept saying
2: how good it was and I thought it can't be that good. And uh, then it was quite fun, yeah. Was, as was usual, good. the three of us were right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and your your recommendation of uh, this is the end was pretty good as well. So you're on a roll, Steve.
2: Com- comedy's comedies. had a good couple of years after being pretty rubbish for a long time. Comedy's kind of there's been a good couple of years for comedy films. Yeah, uh, Owen, what are you telling people to
1: watch?
3: Uh, I'm gonna be really lazy and say people should watch uh, Robert Rodriguez Mexican trilogy on Netflix. Uh, it's all there. You've got no excuse, and Desperado is brilliant.
2: Okay, and Carol? Uh,
0: well, some of us are very excited about Days of Future Past opening up in nine days' time now. Um, Film 4 are also very excited about it, but I would say that they're very excited about the X-Men triple bill over the weekend, but I would say don't bother with Origins, Wolverine or Last Time, they're shit. Watch on Monday at 7pm X-Men, the original, uh, which basically... You have to thank for every single superhero film coming through the uh, blo- coming through the multiplex at the moment, whether you like that or not. Came at just the right time, didn't it, X Men?
3: Yeah. Comic book movies were on the wane a little bit, and then well, it yeah, just blew you
0: everything had else up. Batman Forever, which was obviously quite bad, and then you had Blade, which was like an 18, so that was yeah. good, you know, for the over 18s, that was fine. But for the for the family friendly stuff, X Men was really
1: important.
0: Yeah. And it and it's a good film, it still holds up now. It's not as good as the sequel, but that's not on T V <laughs> this week as far as I can see.
2: You can watch Vinnie Jones be an X Men.
0: Uh, you can, but I wouldn't recommend it. Mm. <laughs> I'm not that's not my recommendation. I have no part of that recommend I'm recommending the first one. I would not recommend anyone who even likes X Men goes near the third one or Origins Wolverine. Actually you can watch Origins Wolverine, uh, which I think is on over the weekend, but only watch the first ten minutes. And and that should be fine. After that you can just switch it off. Okay. I kind of got out of a confession that I don't mind the last stand.
3: I don't think it's <sighs> I don't think it's um great by any stretch of the imagination but it's if you just ignore the fact that it's supposed to be the third part of a trilogy and it completely ruined everything that came before it and it's just a mess <laughs> of different mutants, it's alright you ignore know that, it? it's absolutely fine
0: Yeah,
3: if you watch it just as a standalone X-Men film
0: it's alright if, if we had been watching it as the first one or, or one that had come after a long time afterwards and, you know, not knowing about the missed opportunities uh, and not knowing about Brian Singer not being allowed to direct Superman and going off to direct Superman Returns instead, then, yeah, it would probably be fine. But the fact is, it isn't. It's an awful botched job. Uh I'm really, I was really upset when, because I was, I was upset when my, when Brian Singer came off it, but I was more upset when Matty Vaughan came off it as well, because I thought he would have done a really good job, and then we just sort of got left with the shit fest that was Brett Ratner, really. Uh, sorry, so Brett Ratner, I'm sure you're a really nice person, yeah. and everything, but this film is a mess.
3: He's oblivious to that as well. I watched the DVD commentary on The Last Stand, and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's brilliant, people love this bit, was, you know, when stuff like uh, Juggernaut turns up, and they go, oh yeah, this is really popular it wasn't
0: they actually. got a point because I think it's actually the most successful one which is you know I, I don't really want to say what that says about the film going public as a whole but um, yeah they they do have a point to be fair because it, it was actually phenomenally successful and generally the X-Men films haven't been haven't done amazing box offers and that one did so it kind of validated them in a way but everyone who actually likes X-Men thinks it's shit so there
3: well First Class has been a saviour and hopefully
2: Yes. Days future past, didn't you? Hopefully, fingers crossed. Anyway, uh, so yes, that's all for uh, this week's podcast. Next week will be, I believe, a Godzilla special and a return of James Diamond to the podcast sooner than expected. Whether that's good or bad, make your own mind up. <laughs> uh, so thanks everyone who's listened this week, and hopefully you will join us next week uh, for our Godzilla special. The Failed Critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at, at failedcritics.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.
2: In the film. Yeah, I'd agree with that, but I don't think it's aimed at me. I think there's people who will like it. Um, judging by the reaction it's got, there are people who like it. Mm. I'm just not one of them, and neither are you. No, not at all. And I thought I would, um, it's only a short film, so
3: you know I wouldn't make you watch another Transformers film, so we um, went for a shorter one this time. <laughs> Completely different to Transformers, but still, I think, equally as
2: infuriated. Yeah. Um, that's fair to say, I think. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. won't say too much more without fear of ruining it for Carol, who is now going to start the quiz. uh bring it Yeah. Up. Okay. Right. Let's let's
3: see. Where shall I start? This is a bit of a scrappy one because I'm kind of all over the place at the minute. uh Okay. And let's start. At the minute, all the time. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to go in any chronological order. I'm just going to pick some films, starting with the lesser-known ones. So the first one I'm going to go with is, in 2005, was Be Cool.
2: Any guesses? Steve. Uh, was, Steve? Was, was, yeah. was Dwayne The Rock Johnson in that? And so, it wasn't Dwayne The Rock Johnson.
1: You've got
0: it. Yes, oh my right away. God. I'm not even mad. I'm actually quite. I'm I'm actually quite impressed. That's that's amazing.
2: It's not often people get it on the first go.
0: No.
2: I think James got it once on the first go.
3: I I did get it once as well. I got it on Pierce Brosnan. I think James started off with Lawnmower Man, which is basically that, or Gold, Gold, Goldeneye, or one of those sort of films, the Bond films. (laughs) I would have got it. So I was quite chuffed with that one. But yes, now you are in this uh, elusive club. Exclusive club,
2: rather. Yes. So what? What else were you going to come out with for his, for his? I'm guessing you're going to miss things like The Mummy.
3: Yeah, I was going to go on to Get Smart after that, which was in 2008, which he played a role in. I was then going to move on to stuff like um, The Other Guys, which he has a small part at the beginning
2: as yeah. just the best bit of that bit of that film. I think I probably would have got it at that point. Yeah. You're going to go through loads when he went through his child-friendly film phase.
3: <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, there's, there's other things he did that I don't know whether you would know him from. So he did, um, what was that animation? He did Planet 51.
2: Wasn't he in? Which, some, wasn't he in a film with Steven Merchant? Uh, I've not made that possi- up. I've not made that possi-
3: up. But um, yeah, yeah, then you get onto all of his, you know, popular stuff. Fast and Furious 5 and all that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: since so. he stopped trying to go down the Hulk Hogan route of wrestlers doing kids films.
3: <laughs> yeah. Made all his money from uh, the Disney movies and now he's back onto action movies, which I'm really pleased about. I think he's a brilliant action film star. You know, as I, was, I suppose almost everyone else with any sense thinks as well.
2: Exactly.
0: Um, I, I do like him. I think he's a, a great present.
2: Yeah. He's got... A, ch- a lot of charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on to the news now. Uh, so, I mean, why don't you start us off with the, n- the news? Yes,
3: well, um, what's quickly becoming our weekly obituary com- column. Um, unfortunately, key. yeah, what were you going to say, Steve? I was going to
2: say, if people stopped dying, we wouldn't have to do it.
3: Exactly, yeah. But <laughs> unfortunately, uh, the Swiss... Designer? I don't know what his technical term is. You know, he's an artist. H.R. Uh, Geiger, also probably most famous
2: for Inventing designing. a counter. What? Was that, that sorry? That joke went over everyone's head, didn't it? He said his no, most... I got it. I got it. Yeah. It's fine. Most famous for I just in... decided not to laugh. Yeah. Oh, and most famous for inventing a counter. A Geiger counter. Oh, okay. I'm wasted. Yeah, I'm good. wasted, it. <laughs> I'll, just Too be, me, I'll, be, I'll be quiet for five minutes. You talk about him.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he was famous mainly, I think, not for a counter, <laughs> but for designing um, the aliens in Alien. Um, or the alien in Alien? There's only one alien in Alien. Um. It, it, I think Jerry's talked about him quite a lot in the past. He was a big admirer of his work. He's also um one of these guys who everything he designed had some kind of uh, some kind of phallus in it so a lot of the work in alien uh, part of what made it so scary uh, was the way that everything kind of it's almost like a rape isn't it you know you've got the face hookers that kind of rape you and uh, it was, that was all part of his work and it was all intentional and I think he's um had a lot of influence on horror films and particularly sci-fi horror as well lots of people try to emulate what he's done and so it will be um it'll be a sad loss
0: i think it's the scariest bit of alien for you guys obviously i have a different point of view on this but it's the scariest bit of alien for you guys um the uh, the chest bursting because a lot of people i know think that and i don't I don't know. I think it's like a metaphor for childbirth. I think that's why yes. guys don't like it, basically. Because no. it's like the one thing that can't happen to you, but there it is happening mm. to John Hurt. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah. I think that
3: was, it. that was again, that was intentional, wasn't it? Because of the whole, you know, face huggers that basically have sex with a <laughs> bloke's face. And that's just terrifying. Yeah. I would Yeah, I found that quite disturbing when I saw it. And I was—it it wasn't really until I'd really thought about it a lot afterwards, um, or when I was older, really, not when I was afterwards. When I was quite young, it was just the whole thing was quite frightening. But it was when, when you're older and you rewatch it and you just sort of think, yeah, I can understand now why that particular bit was so scary. Yeah, it's I not mean, because you've got a monster on your face. It's because of what it is
0: actually doing. Yeah, I, I, I find it obviously disturbing, but it's not the most disturbing part of the whole film for me. Um, To be honest I don't really Actually saying that I don't really know what Yeah I think the face hugging bit Is probably the worst But but, um, Yeah But uh, yeah He was also um, And this doesn't really Get enough attention I don't think He also did a lot of um, Like heavy metal album covers Mm. uh, Which the last one Was actually only released Like a few weeks ago I think Um, I can't remember the name Of the band now It escapes me But it was always really Kind of excellent Heavy metal covers as well So He'll be missed from that from that area as well I think and also props to Forbidden Planet in Shaftesbury Avenue tonight who uh, by the time I walked in there at half past five already had his book out on display in the window I was going to
3: say it's a weird one isn't it because it's not really a coffee table book you wouldn't want people to just come round and see it definitely Um, not (laughs) some of the images are almost sexually explicit
1: most of them are
0: really aren't they let's let's be honest if you're looking at it that way but uh, yeah it's obviously a great contribution
2: Okay, and um, on to other news, better news, I suppose. We've had some glimpses from the, um, well, it's not a Batman film, is it? It's a Superman film, supposedly. It is a Batman
0: film, let's be
2: honest. It's yeah, going yeah. it? to be a Batman film, isn't it? it's going to be a Batman film. With name a bit in of Superman tu- in t- it. Yeah, and Superman in the title. but Yeah. Yeah. Mainly Batman. Mm. If they could put Superman vs. Batman, but mainly Batman in the title, then they probably would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but do so, so people really get excited about this? I mean, we've we've seen pictures of a bit of a Batmobile and his Bat suit, and I'm just like, well, whatever. I think
3: it's quite a long way off from the film being released, and we're getting these sort of teasers, which isn't unusual these days, but it does seem a little bit like... Um, I don't know. Are people going to be bored of it by the time it comes out? Is it going to start to look dated already? I don't know.
0: No, I think it's I think it's a piece of genius. If I was marketing it, it's exactly what I would do. Because otherwise, people who are talking about it, you're always going to have people talking about it in articles and stuff. And all they'll have to go on so far is basically like placeholder pictures of Christian Bale and the previous Batman films. And this way, you've actually got a, a, an image that they can kind of hold on to. I actually, I haven't looked at the image in too much depth, but I did like um, the fact there seems to be a lot of scarring all over his suit. And his suit does, does seem to be a lot thinner um which kind of indicates that he's been through a some shit and b more shit and he kind of basically feels he doesn't need armor anymore um and that you know basically he's he's battle-hardened enough to actually kind of deal with stuff himself without armor um which i found it a really interesting image but Zack snyder's problem is never image is it let's be Let's be honest.
3: No, he's got a lot of style. <laughs> hasn't he? Yeah,
0: it's def- yeah. definitely it'll definitely be a stylish film, however it turns out. Yeah, um,
3: but I thought the image. I mean, it did look good, and it, it, like you say, it, it, Snyder's got that in the bag. Really, it's, you know, it's pretty hard to do um, Batman wrong unless you start putting nipples on the suit. But it looks like he steered clear of of going down the nineties kind of <laughs> shitty Schumacher film route. So...
0: Yeah, yeah, and an looks built as well. He looks massive. Yeah, but
3: well, you know, I don't think it's a particularly um, tight-fitting jumper he's wearing. <laughs> it's pretty really padded.
0: Well, as I said, I haven't looked that closely, Owen. If you have, then that's that's fine. No one's going to judge you. I've yeah, been staring at his abs all afternoon. <laughs> um, Owen,
1: more
2: yeah. more superhero film news, kind of. Uh, I suppose they're superheroes.
3: Are you... Uh, yes. Well, there's two lots of superhero news. We'll go with the one that you, you seem most keen to talk
2: about first. I think it's the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Well, exactly. And yeah. I haven't even dared to look back at an old episode um, on online uh, a fear of it tarnishing its reputation in my childhood. Um, <laughs> although apparently it's still going. Successfully as well. Yeah. It's um, um, doing really well, I yes. think. The Power Rangers... Uh, are meant to be coming back for a movie um, which sounds possibly brilliant potentially terrible
1: it doesn't seem
2: brilliant though does it? yeah but it no. depends no, who you give it, it really to make them, part, make them part of Marvel just sign it all up sign, do <laughs> it, sign the contract yeah. and get, get them doing it it'll be brilliant the Power
3: Rangers teaming up with the Avengers that
2: would yeah uh, oh my god no thanks but no, like, like, if it teamed up with Guardians of the Galaxy yeah <laughs> or some like or like some second tier superheroes like
0: yeah
2: yeah not no, the it's main a
0: terrible idea let's, it let's, is
1: terrible. let's never
2: talk about it again but anyway I can't remember anything about Power Rangers except there was a red one and a white one and a green one a pink one a yellow one and a blue one and well then... the white one
3: what's the green one
2: what you've burned my mind now the white <laughs> the white one Tommy I think the white nice. yeah that's the only name I remember the white one started off bad and then became the bla- good the
3: black one was called Zach uh, the the blue one was Billy. Uh, what, what you've got me going now. Pink one was Kimberly. J- uh, Jason was the red one, and I can't remember the yellow one.
0: I just remember it being overtly racist because the Black Power Ranger was actually black, yeah. and the yellow one was a Chinese girl. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's all I remember. That's my takeaway from uh, Power Rangers. Although she did have a brilliant saber-tooth tiger. She did. Yeah, that's. Then she was that. a leg. Yeah. yeah, basically, yeah, basically, you put them all together and it's just like,
2: oh, okay. <laughs> you can't, you can't function one of them things without a leg. It's a pretty crucial part.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you could probably, like, make it have four arms and just, like, normal legs, though, surely. Have, just have, make the same as tiger an
2: arm. I'd, I'd have said you would need the leg more than you need the head and that kind of thing.
0: But just make it out of Meccano or something. Well. And, you know, just have the, have the like, proper functioning robot this is, the arm. This
2: is why you weren't the floating head thing in Power Rangers. <laughs> this <is probably> <laughs> or even his little robot mate. Yeah. Anyway, um, so embargoes are up on uh, Godzilla and X-Men Days of Future Past. And, well, what do we think of the reaction so far? It's generally been
3: quite positive for both, hasn't it? it's
0: been for Um, a while i've only been really looking at days of future past yeah Um,
3: godzilla's has been positive as well but days of future past i think that's had um a lot of people i think it was mentioned on the football 365 forum as well that the um reviews some of them have been quite well they've been slating it a little bit saying it's messy but generally accepting that it's quite an enjoyable film which is what we could have Hopeful at best, really,
0: I think. I think the ones facing it for being messy are basically saying that if you haven't watched any of the previous films, you might have a problem. But why would you be going to watch this in the first place if you haven't seen any of the other X-Men films? I don't understand. And, uh, yeah, the, the one two-star review I read was in The Telegraph, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, basically just went along the lines of, I hate comic book
1: films, rah, yeah, rah,
0: that's, that's
2: rah. So we pretty much disregard that. That's a grown-up's paper. They don't like yes.
0: comic books. Yes, The
2: Guardian yeah. loved it. Well, wow, that's a that's a grown up paper as well. The Guardian
3: also loved Ted and called James a
2: snob. That's for right. not liking Ted. they really half true. right.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, so, and and Godzilla has been quite well re- received as well, which is out the end of this week.
1: Yeah, and I'm
3: sure um, Matt can't be with us today because he's still too busy frantically masturbating over all these <laughs> positive reviews.
0: I just kind of had a mental image of him flapping his arms up and down. But, you know, your one works as well.
2: That's fine. Yeah, Yeah, we one of the two. Anyway, we're going to end part one here. And uh, in part two, we'll be back with what we've been watching, which this week features some uh, new releases. Part two, then, uh, what we've been watching. Um, We'll have a look at the the films that we have uh, seen in the last week or so that might not necessarily be new releases, although this week... Two of them are, aren't they, Carol? Yes. Yes. So I have seen this week, uh, I have
0: seen The Wind Rises, and also literally this evening I have seen Frank. uh, So I'll talk about The Wind Rises first, which is the um, latest studio Ghibli film, and it's the last film by Hayao Miyazaki, who is um, basically like the godfather of uh, of Ghibli films. If If you've ever watched one, it's likely he's directed it, well, not so much in recent years. So he's said a few times that he's going to be retiring but this time apparently it's finally it um so the wind rises is a um, story of a young boy who has um, quite severe sight difficulties and he wants to be involved in kind of um, aeronautical endeavors but his eyesight presents him from being a pilot but he can still design airplanes um so he goes uh, goes and designs airplanes but unfortunately he's in japan during the time uh, between the First and Second World Wars, basically, where Japan just seems really eager on starting a fight with everyone in the world. And so uh, the only job he can really find, uh, because they're also dirt broke, uh, the only job he can really find is, is working for um, a company who provides the military with planes. Um it's it's a really nice film. I'm a big Ghibli fan. Uh, it's not their best by a long shot, and if I'm brutally honest, it is quite long. It's it's over two hours long, which for an animated film is is pretty pretty lengthy. I think uh, there's probably about half an hour that could have been cut out. I think, but you know, as it's Miyazaki's last, apparently, again, um, you can kind of. You can kind of not blame him really for for wanting to kind of drag it out as long as he does. And it's, it's not you know it's not a dragging film by any point. There is a bit in the middle where it sags a little bit, but it never feels like oh my god please end this now. Um, it's really it looks beautiful. Um, it's it's a really lovely looking film, and you know people who are particularly into aeroplanes will really appreciate the. Um, the effort that's gone into portraying planes of that time, so basically from the 20s through to the 40s, which was when um, airplanes were basically literally taking off, if you'll pardon the pun. Um, But uh, it's a lovely looking film. It's it's probably one of the best looking films. It's not Ghibli's strongest film, um, but as a as a farewell it's it's really nice i think and it's just kind of really bittersweet um especially where he's talking about how artists are, there's a bit where he's talking about how artists are only created for 10 years and you think miyazaki's been going on for i don't know 30 or 40 years now um which is just absolutely amazing but if you're a ghibli fan you you will really really like it i think
3: i really wanted to see it in the cinema um it's not shown anywhere near me, but i I kind of think that it's one of these films that you can kind of forgive him for being a bit self indulgent with yeah he's talking about a topic that he he adores you know he loves planes airplanes and you know studio Ghibli is named after them, and he did sort of similar thing with Porco Rosso have you seen yeah yeah. Where he, there is a bit in there which is very self-indulgent. Where he just likes to draw a lot of planes and see them whizzing about the sky and stuff, which is fine. But it seems like from the wind rises, the story is foregoing a little bit of, um, in favor of him just explaining why planes are brilliant and why he loves planes. Yes. That about fair,
0: yeah i think that's probably fair it's, it's basically like his but you know um john Lasseter from pixar made cars yeah. because he loves uh the cars racing the ones going turning left for 150 miles <laughs> um but it, it's like that but better basically it's like his vanity project but it, it is much better than cars um and it, yeah it is a very enjoyable film um yeah you can't really kind of fault it for, for being that long if it was kind of a a, a normal output of Shibli then you could say then you would probably pick a few more holes in it but as it's his last film you can't really you can't really fault him for going that way most of their films are quite long
3: anyway though i think the majority are over two hours aren't they
0: um i don't know i've never definitely never felt they were over two hours um maybe it's just because i because i happened to catch it because i was going to cinema and it's only the second film i've ever it, only the second Ghibli film I've ever watched in the cinema actually um, so I kind of looked at how long it was just as yes. a matter of course um, but I've certainly never kind of realised that most of the others were two hours long but um, yeah it, it, it's recommended anyway um, if you like that sort of thing and uh, the English voice cast is pretty good actually um, I had a choice between seeing it subtitled or dubbed and I went for dubbed um, just because it was showing at a more convenient time and the, and the English um, voice cast was pretty good
3: yeah, we've had this debate before, I think, about um, <laughs> yeah. subbed versus dubbed And I personally don't really care.
0: It wasn't way. really a debate. It was just me trying to get a rise out of you that wasn't showing. <laughs> at
1: all.
0: And I had yeah. the choice. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the, is the, um, is Play Shiro, the main guy in the uh, in the story. Um, and he's very good. And it's got a great supporting cast. I would never have a problem with Shibley's um Dubbing, to be honest, they normally have such a good voice cast. Um, sometimes when you watch um, dubbed films from over, from overseas, then they're, they're not great. They don't have the voice cast to match up to it. But I think Ghibli always always deliver the, the goods there, to be honest. Yep. Um, and so the second film, which I literally just got back maybe an hour ago, from seeing this evening, was Frank. Um, So this is a film about Frank Sidebottom, who, for our younger listeners, um, was basically a guy, um, a Mancunian, who went around with a papier-mâché head all the time. And uh, he did some songs, and he was a very, very eccentric guy. He died, um, I'm not sure, he died not very long ago, did he? I think it was about four or five years ago. Um, But he was just, he was completely mad, basically. Um, But the um, journalist, John Ronson, I didn't realise this at the time, but he was actually in his band, and he wrote a newspaper article, um, I think, after Frank died. Um, And and it's been turned into this film, which is kind of, it's taken liberties with the truth quite a lot, because for one, Frank is no longer Mancunian, he's American, Uh, which I don't know how much fuss this has caused. But uh, it it didn't didn't really affect me that much, because as I said, I, I don't, really remember much of Frank Sidebottom I remember him very vaguely um, from my childhood but I don't really have the attachment to him that I'm sure a lot of people do um, so the, um, t- the title character John is uh, invited on, to, on tour with, uh, with the band that Frank uh, kind of anchors and um, it kind of goes from there really and that, that's really it um, and they end up through various means of going by going to south by southwest it's i i really enjoyed it i can see why some people may not enjoy it it's a very what is like frank himself it's a very odd thing um basically it kind of it kind of sidesteps the whole idea of of whether someone who goes around wearing a paper mache head at all times is actually mentally ill um and kind of just plays up his um, eccentricities and his creativity. Um, And there isn't much of a plot to to speak of, but I I did quite enjoy it, and I quite enjoyed spending time with the characters, Um, apart from Maggie Gyllenhaal, who I found quite annoying, but I think you were meant to find her annoying. Um, I can't remember the name of her her character right now. But, uh, yeah, overall, it was... Just an in, it was an interesting film and it's quite funny in places um, I would say that if you like kind of very off the wall films then I, I would say probably go and watch it It seems
3: really bizarre
0: over. It is really bizarre, there's no, there's no getting around it you can't, you just can't get around it the the main main actor wears a paper mache head for 95% of the film uh,
3: and, Does he take it off?
0: Oh god sorry
3: Oh uh, ok <laughs>
0: so okay the main actor wears a uh, paper mache for the whole film and um yeah you just can't get around that and, and you know in fact there's a really nice bit where uh john is just kind of sitting in the back of the van just saying you know why doesn't he take the head off you know just basically elucidating what everyone else says and there's a couple of really nice bits in it where they kind of deal with how he gets through passport control and things like that with this giant paper mache head on um yeah, it, it, is, it is enjoyable. I, I did really enjoy it. It's not particularly long either. It's only about an hour and a half, I think. Um, I felt the ending was a bit... Uh, I don't know. I felt the ending was a little bit kind of bizarre in a way. Um, I kind of didn't like the idea that they, they went the whole nine yards with it. And I don't really want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't already seen it, obviously. Um, but I, didn't really, I wasn't really keen on where they went with the ending. But up until then, it was a it was a good film. Very very odd, but you know it was still pretty good.
2: Okay, uh, Owen, what have you seen this week?
3: Uh, okay, uh, well I'll come on to the specific film I'm going to review in just a minute. Um, but first, I think it's worth giving it some some context. So uh, Thursday last week, I had what can only be described as a life changing evening of watching films. Um, started off with me finishing off watching um the debut of robert rodriguez uh, it's the cult indie mexican crime thriller b-movie el mariachi um i started to watch it the night before actually uh in bed but i was i could tell i, I was too tired to really give it enough um concentration so I just decided to, I watched as much of it as I could before thinking, right, I'm going to have to quit and I'll give it my full attention tomorrow. And then I'm glad I did because it was a very entertaining film. Very silly, um, very typical Rodriguez, if you've ever seen any of his films, like, you know, Just Till Dawn is brilliant and that sort of thing. Um, But it was very good. So uh, straight after finishing El Mariachi, I had a quick look on Netflix and found that the next film in his Mexican trilogy... um, which is the much larger budget sequel, Desperado, uh, was available to stream. And that was pretty much the moment I decided what I'd be doing for the rest of the evening. And, my God, it was brilliant. I've never seen Desperado before, but it had. It was it was just fantastic. It had everything from El Mariachi, everything that was good about El Mariachi, cranked up to a much higher, uh, more insane level um, than El Mariachi had. And it, it kind of carries on from where the previous movie ended. Um, although there's some slight revisions, but not worth me going into at the moment. Um, And basically, the the, the other main change is it stars Antonio Banderas as the mariachi who replaces uh, Carlos Gallardo um, as the once mild-mannered mariachi who's mistaken for a convict on the loose and caught in between uh, some gang wars and stuff. Now, this time, he's on the lookout for revenge against the gangs that have killed his woman and uh, it's yeah it's a very simple story but it's also quite convoluted at the same time but it's 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 really well told actually um it's just one of these films you <laughs> you can ignore the fact that it's a, a bit of a mess because it's such fun uh, it's really good fun and it stars a lot of other famous people you know where whereas al mariachi was a very low budget film with lots of um unknown mexican actors in it um this is you know for, for a start, it's all in uh, American, or mostly in American rather than um, than in Mexican. Um, and so, therefore, you've got all these big stars in there. You've got Steve Buscemi, who uh, features as Antonio Banderas' mate and provides what is one of the best openings to a film I've seen in ages. Um, basically narrates a story to this dingy little Mexican bar about Antonio Banderas and about his reputation. But it's just so damn... Cool. It's really, it, I just sat there thinking, this is just, I'm going to love this film. I've only seen the first five minutes, but I am absolutely going to adore this film, I can tell. Um, but you, then you also get people in there like Quentin Tarantino, um, but uh, as well as some other you know, Mexican um, or, or Latin actors. So you, uh, Selma Hayek is in it, Teach Marin, Danny Trejo, amongst others. Um, they're all involved, and they're all also fantastic as well. Um, but yeah, like I say, the story is a bit more complex, a little bit more complex. Um, but it's all the better for it. Um, uh, well, mostly, mostly it's, it goes a little bit squiffy in the middle, um, but then it kind of more than rescues itself towards the end of the film with this completely over-the-top action set piece, which, uh, as I say, it's just a ton of fun. The whole film is just brilliant fun. I had a hoot watching it. Um, definitely much more so than Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which is the final part of the trilogy. Um, which was I had seen that before some years ago, about 10 years ago, I think I saw it. Um, and I did like Once Upon a Time in Mexico at the time. Um, but, yeah, I re-watched it after Desperado, and, yeah, oh, dear, it's a bit rubbish, but um, particularly when it's compared to Desperado. But, yeah, I really enjoyed Desperado, and I really enjoyed El Mariachi. They're two very good films. Um, have either of you two seen Desperado before?
0: No, I haven't.
1: no.
3: Never no.
0: seen either of them, I don't think, or any of the three.
3: Do you like Robert Rodriguez in general or have you never really um,
0: um you know, did, I'm not know, sure I've seen a lot of his stuff actually. Um did he direct he did, from Dust Till Dawn?
3: From Dust Till Dawn, yeah. He did Sin City, Planet Terror.
1: Yes,
0: well I don't know whether I like Planet Terror or whether it was just really good compared to Death Proof, <laughs> <Bridge,
1: laughs> right, Which is okay. probably the wor-
0: one of the worst films I've ever seen, and I've seen some rubbish. I, I don't mind Death Proof. You're <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's True. Right. No. But Planet Terror is much better than... Yes, Death it is a million times better.
3: Yeah. So it has yeah. one of my favourite uh, film
0: quotes as well. I'm
3: mean, going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, well, okay, that's fair enough. I think if you like stuff like From Till Dawn, or if you like Sin City or, or Planet Terror, then, yeah, give Desperado a go. It's, yeah. well, it's well worth your time.
0: Sounds pretty good. Is it on Netflix?
3: All three of them are on Netflix.
0: Fantastic.
2: I might have to seek that out. yeah, it's brilliant. Okay, and the film that I have seen this week is going to descend into a, a rant on kind of type <laughs> of film. But I watched um, both. This one was on film four. It was Frozen, not the children's Disney thing, the one where some idiots get stuck on a ski lift. Um, and I also watched The Crazies, which is a 2010 remake of some older horror film about some town that gets. But well, George a. Romero, yeah, yeah, he did the original. Mm, I probably should have watched that instead. Um, <laughs> but, but these these are both films in what is probably the horror or thriller genre. Yeah. It's meant to be tense. It's meant to be scary. You meant it's meant to shit you up a bit, and it doesn't. Neither of them do. In In Frozen. Um, the three characters are morons. They are not. They are not <laughs> likable in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I don't know why I watched it to the end. I could have turned it off and done something far more productive or more interesting or anything. But I did watch it to the end. I kind of did by a point want to know what happened at the end. Um, but it was just. <laughs> I think with yeah.
3: Frozen, I know you've made the point that the characters are all these unlikable idiots but i kind of got the impression they're meant to be a bit unlikable just so that you won't mind seeing
2: all these terrible things happen to them. Well, there is that but i mean at no point did i feel any kind of tension in that film you're obviously meant to feel some kind of tension i did i did wince a bit when one of the one of the characters injured themselves in a really stupid way i mean i don't know how he i don't care if i spoil this film people it's been out a while anyway Right, he jumped off a ski lift. But it was far too high for him to jump off safely, and he broke both his legs. That made me wince a bit because it did look quite painful. But other than that, there's no tension in the film. There was none. And then the same with the crazies. It was, it was just a by the books horror slasher film. And my my rant comes from there's just too many of them. They just seems to be churning out year after year. So many of these, they're either remakes or new films just going along the same plot as an old one. And it's, they're meant to be a horror or a thriller or a slasher film, and they're meant to shit you off, a bit, but they're not. They're just boring and by the books and doing nothing new. And I want a film that's going to scare me or make or make me feel tense, and it's just it's just not happening. And I know Owen watches quite a lot of of foreign films and seeing that and that and they seem to be doing more. You know, if I watched foreign films, there'd be more of that kind of thing. But it's not me being. An idiot or uncultured. I tend to do other things while I'm watching a film. So if a film's subtitled, I can't really do other things while I'm watching it, which is why I don't tend to watch so many. But you know, generally English or American um, or English language films, are just making such boring and predictable horror films, or you know, don't scare people or don't make you feel uneasy or tense. And it's just really well, frustrating. Um,
3: it depends where you look. I think if you go to these big uh, American horror thrillers, whatever you want to call them, then perhaps yeah, there is a, um, they're all very similar. They all follow the same sort of formula, um, or the same kind of blueprint almost. And it's just a, yeah, but I, I thought The Crazies was decent. I think it's another one that's a bit stupid, um, but at the same time, some of the kind of scenarios that are in there, I thought were quite creative. Um, I didn't find myself wanting to pause the film to go and get a drink or do something else, you know. I, I kind of sat through it to the end, and I thought it was... <laughs> the
0: highest played.
3: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I just mean, like, in a rebuttal, a rebuttal to what um, Steve's just saying, really, with the horror film. It's, I wanted to stick with this. I wasn't tempted to look at my phone or anything like that, which does happen with some of the
2: more clichéd horror films that, that come out. But, but you understand my point about this type of film in general. I don't think I've been really shitted up by a film or made to, on the edge of my seat by a film of this kind of genre since possibly, I think, Paranormal Activity, Paranormal Activity 2, and then it all got a bit samey, and the fourth kind. And see, after that, it's just been kind of, Ugh. I'm not you're not doing your job as a film.
3: Yeah, but at the same time, that could just be, you know, you're getting a bit desensitised to it.
2: I think that is a problem
3: with most most horrors now. I've seen so many that I don't get scared by any of them.
2: Uh, That is a possibility.
1: I mean, there's some
3: that are really, they've got really good atmospheres, and then for a little bit afterwards, you feel a bit creeped out. Or, you know, I think I said at the time when we, when I watched Dark Skies, I can't remember if you watched it at the same time as me, but I said it was yeah. one of those
2: films that just makes you go a little bit quicker up the stairs to bed. Than yeah, the yeah, I agree with you on Dark Skies. That was that was had that was quite a good one in in regards to that. But it's just there's just not many coming out of kind of mainstream films, and it's just all a bit. Yeah. You know, you, you, I want to watch something like that. I want to watch something that's made me not really want to go to sleep. It's going to keep me up. And it just doesn't happen. I've been looking for one for ages, like a new one. It just doesn't doesn't happen.
3: I think the uh, point as well about the, um, you know, foreign cinema making these films quite uh, edgy and quite different and particularly different to what's been produced in America, for example. Um, it's true, but... I think they're they're starting. To, well, the ones I tend to watch tend, have started to follow the same sort of pattern as well. Not the same pattern as what's been produced in America, but the same pattern of they're going to be grotesque. They're going to have these uh, really uncomfortable scenes in to the point where no, it's just not uncomfortable to watch it. It's just mm. expected, you know. Martyrs was good, and uh, you know, in that sense. But then you get you get things that try to do exactly the same same thing, you know, Human Centipede as well was one, I think that was was it a Dutch film or something like that, that's tr- terrible, it is utter bollocks, it's just because it's got one particular thing in it that's slightly uh, different or slightly out there, well it's not slightly out there is it, Human Centipede, it's very out there, but it's, you know, it just relies on that one gimmick, and I think that's wearing a bit thin for me as well at the minute but yeah,
1: I mean Crazies and Frozen, I thought they were quite enjoyable for what they were
2: um, Crazy's more so than than Frozen. Frozen, I just found just boring. Um, maybe, maybe it's because I watched it on film four and they had the throwing adverts everywhere, which makes a sort of hour and a half film, two hours plus. And you know, yeah, maybe it's not that's good
3: tension building.
2: Anyway, is it? No, maybe that has something to do with it. But in, in general, I think my point still stands. Um, and on that note, we'll end part two. In part three, we have got the triple bill. Um, directorial debuts so yes our triple bill for this week return of triple bill is directorial debuts they could be um the best the best ones uh, the worst ones one from a particular genre anything like that um so owen this was your idea i believe so why don't you kick us off
3: Shall so I start, then? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, the idea was basically just to pick any any three directorial, directorial debuts that we wanted to do. So, the first one I thought, I'll get it out of the way, first of all. Um, it may be a slightly odd choice for me, um, but it's Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero.
2: Uh, I had to include it, really. So it's probably called, my favourite film of all time. you've gone for best. best to start with, yeah. yeah. I've gone
3: for the first one is my favourite, and then the next two don't
1: follow the same pattern right uh i'll come on to those
3: yeah but yeah night of the living dead um not yeah it's not just my favorite film either it's like it's just such an important movie in terms of its influence um and legacy on the on particularly on the horror genre um it's a relatively cheaply made horror film by a doc director who at the time uh had only really made tv adverts i think i've said on the past as well he didn't want to be pigeonholed as a horror genre director or film writer it just seemed like the easiest and simplest film to make at the time um but yeah it turned out to be this this masterpiece um and almost single-handedly changed what a zombie was without ever referring to its creatures as zombies you know um before before night of the living dead they were just kind of Victims of like voodoo magic, um, or they were infected by some kind of parasite. Uh, this was the first film that really turned them into the animated shuffling corpses that they they are now. Uh, but yeah, the story itself, it, like I say, it, it didn't have a lot of money, so it was something relatively basic. Just a group of people forced to hold up in a country house during um, during a zombie outbreak, but it's it kind of virtually impossible. To improve on I think I don't think it misses a beat at any particular point in the film it's just all the way through Uh, it's solid it's well made it's it's scary going back to the the point we were talking about earlier you don't get films that scare you in the same way as Night of the Living Dead does um, anymore and I don't think um, I mean yeah it's had a lasting legacy lots of other directors have uh, either tried to do the same thing as he did Uh, either by copying what he did or um, some people have even tried to kind of remake Night of the Living Dead but none have quite uh, done it as successfully as George A. Romero did with his debut Um, none of them have had the same impact and it's yeah just all credit really goes to George A. Romero what he did with that film from the writing through to the directing everything about it I love I love
0: It's so creepy as well even now Mm. It's, it's terrifying it is. I'm not sure that, you know, even The Exorcist now doesn't really have the same impact as it had in the 70s. I'm not really sure that, that many horror films will have the same impact 40 years after they're released as, as Night of the Living Dead will.
3: Yeah, and I think part of that is down to how much it has influenced the genre. You know, people stealing all of his ideas, or not necessarily stealing, but being inspired by his ideas, if we're going to be a bit more um, uh, friendly. Yeah, they, they it's kind of deadened the impact of some of the scenes in Night of the Living Dead, but I still think it's a scary film. I didn't particularly like it the first time I ever saw it, which was a weird um, thing for it to now be my favourite film, but it, I think it grew on me, and then the more I appreciated it, I think it, what happened was I watched it one time after thinking it was a bit rubbish, and then I did get a bit scared by it, and I thought, oh, okay. It is really good, actually, isn't it? And then the more I watched it, the more I could appreciate the other things he was doing, and you know, how it's quite an allegorical film, and it's just a very clever movie, um, and yeah, I love it. So it's my, it's my favourite directorial debut and possibly my favourite ever film. My second choice, uh, I wanted to pick something different, something that wasn't just simply one of my favourite directorial debuts, and I've gone in completely the opposite direction by choosing a directorial debut um, that is not just a fucking shit film, um, but it also won an Oscar, unbelievably. And if you haven't guessed what it is by that, it's Paul Haggis' uh, excruciatingly patronising debut in 2004. It's Crash. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I've already praised Night of the Living Dead countless times on, on the podcast in the past, uh, there's not too much point for me repeating exactly why, why I hate Crash, because I've ranted about it on a fair few occasions, but it is absolute garbage how it won an Oscar. and And the and how it won um turtleneck and suit jacket wearing Paul Haggis a nomination for best director is just beyond me I kind of kind of want to respect it for at least attempting to have a message about equality and racial harmony and blah 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 blah, blah. but it's just dreadful I really hate it it's got a made for TV vibe about it the whole production is just it just stinks it's like sitting through a two hour lecture from a regular Daily Mail reader who's read The Guardian for the first time and had an epiphany. And who's going to tell you all about how hey, isn't equality brilliant? You know, yes, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. I just absolutely hate Crash. I hate it. And I'm not at all disappointed that Haggis' career hasn't really
0: gone anywhere since this either. I hate Crash. I hate Crash. I, I think I can pinpoint the exact moment when I knew I wasn't going to like Crash. And I think it's right at the beginning. which which wasn't wasn't promising, which is where Ludacris and some other person, I can't remember the name of the actor right now, uh, were having a um, discussion about uh, how people are kind of really intolerant of of different races and stuff, and they have these stereotypical views of other races, and they promptly go and rob someone. And I was just like, well, that's not helping, is it? No. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with that decision. It's just such a
3: patronizing movie as well everyone oh everyone's horrible to each other yeah right ra- these people are all racist to each other you've got white people being racist to black people you've got black people who are racist about white people and you've got uh mexican people latin people who are all racist as well and then halfway half way through it just goes oh yeah but people can be really nice to each other really you can have the white person who's nice to the black person the black person nice to the what w- nice to the white person and oh, i just fucking hated it it was just it was weird actually because i never really gave it much thought and didn't really yet plan on watching it but then my mother-in-law loved it and she said i should watch it because i like the help which was also you know a film about um, people dealing with racism so all right okay we'll sit down and watch that and i just sat through the whole thing in done silence thinking how can anybody love this film how i don't get it but it's um yeah that's my second choice so i'll calm myself down and i'll move on to my final choice Um, And I know it's another film That has been talked about to death On the podcast uh, Particularly by me Probably mostly by me But I had to include it Purely because um, It was slightly different To my other two two choices In that it's a one-hit wonder Um, Not that it was intended To be a one-hit wonder And it wasn't even a hit When it was released Um, But it's Charles Lawton's Or Lawton I think the say his name, Charles Lawton's film um, From 1955 The Night of the Hunter uh, it actually caused uh, Charles Lawton to give up directing after N- Night of the Hunter came in. It was that poorly received, and the criticism he got was so severe that he just thought, fuck this, Wargaming game, of I'm quitting the whole business. So he didn't make any more after this, uh, which is a dreadful shame. Um, it stars Robert Mitchum. He's an escaped convict um, and a religious nutcase. Not that all people who are religious and nutcases, of course, just that it's something of a fanatic. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I'll dig myself out of that hole later. So he uh, marries the widow of his former cellmate uh, in order to steal her ex-husband's hidden loot. He thinks is the, the husband's hidden some loot that he got after... S- rob in a bank and he wants to find it so uh yeah but the film itself is kind of it's inspired by all the german expressionist silent movies so you know things like nosferatu and the cabinet of dr caligari it's it plays out like a film noir fairy tale um and it's it's fantastic the first time i saw it was i reviewed Afterwards, I reviewed it on the podcast. I think it must have been middle of 2012 sometime. And I said at the time, it is just uh, uh, mesmerizing the whole way through. It's got an absolutely tense atmosphere all the way through. It is very creepy as well. Uh, Robert Mitchum is brilliant in it. It's also got uh, Lillian Gish, who's one of my favorite silent film actresses. And she's much older here, you know, it was 1955. But she, she was also brilliant here as well. Uh, and yeah, it's just a real shame. Charles Laton or Lawton while that never did anything else because um, it's excellent it is really excellent um, it's maybe not quite as much of a personal favorite uh, to me as night of the Living Dead is but it's kind of safe to say it's about hundred million times better than crash so yeah those are my three choices really um, there were other things I did actually have two other films that I was going to use in this section and then I quickly realised after checking IMDb they weren't debuts. I was going to pick Mean Streets for Scorsese and Alien for Ridley Scott and it never occurred to me before they'd made stuff before those films. I was devastated.
1: But I think the three that I've gone for are okay.
2: Okay. I've taken a different approach. I've gone for three awful, three bad directorial debuts. Um, Say now, uh, I haven't seen any of the films that I'm going to mention. <laughs> um, but when I tell you what they're about, then it's probably quite understandable why I have not. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now this, this first one is, uh, M. Night Shalamalan is, uh, uh, he's, he did do one kind of film before this, but it didn't really get a kind of big release. It's only really released at festival. So this is his kind of feature film debut. It was a year before the sixth sense, which really uh, kickstarted his his career, uh, and it was called Wide Awake, and it's a comedy drama starring uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, okay. And this, this is new information. Uh, yes. <laughs> this 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 bit here is going to be full of new information for you. Um, <laughs> it sounds awful. On, apparently, describe it to us. apparently, it was a comedy. He hoped would also make people cry. Um, I can't comment. I can only tell you what the reception was, which is 4.8 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't suggest good things. Um, apparently, during his... This is just reading from Wikipedia. The plot, during his year in the fifth grade, 10-year-old Joshua begins a personal search to find answers about life and death. Yeah, good good start for a comedy. A child looking for answers about death. Um, and it goes on from there, and I think it involves... It involves religion... And wasn't really received very well. I'm not surprised by the, by the sound effects. Also, starred Dennis Leary, who was in uh, the first Spider Man film of the reboot, wasn't he? he was, yeah, he was yeah. Uh,
0: Captain Stacy.
2: Yeah. Um, He's been in a few other things like, apart from that, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like the description of. I was just looking through the actors in the film to see if I recognise them from anything. And the child actor in the film. Is Joseph Cross, and uh, his his little biography about his career says in Wikipedia he began work as a child actor. Well, I'm guessing most actors did begin their work as a child actor. Probably most. Yeah. Um. But anyway, that is M. Night. I name I never. I'm just going to give up now. I just can't. I'm not going to pronounce <laughs> that ever. Uh. All second right. one is James Cameron, um, maker of many big films. I'm sure I don't need to list them. Do you want me to list them? Uh, I, think, I, think we'll be okay. yeah, I think we think be We we'll
0: all decide. know who he is,
2: yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, this one, his, his first feature film uh, directing credit came for Piranha 2, The Spawning. The 1981 <laughs> sequel to uh, the 1978 Piranha. Um, yeah. So bad, he by the sounds of it, by his own admission, he got fired by the Italian producer after two weeks, and he has tried to expunge this film from uh, his records and denies it. Although it, he can't deny it, it does follow him around, and people do bring it up in interviews every now and again. Um, although he will try and deny its existence or deny his his role in it, he can't. It's, um, yes. By the sounds of it, ram- uh, piranhas evolve into the ability to fly. Um, <laughs> it just sounds awful on every level. The, the best thing about it is the Spanish film poster where the title translates as Vampires of the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: I quite like the original piranha. I have no intention of watching
2: this even if no. James
3: Cameron's name is attached to it no. it just
2: sounds not a turd and here's the one I teased everyone with uh, at the start Ben Affleck's directorial debut 16 minute short film titled <laughs> I killed my lesbian wife hung her on a meat hook and now I have a free picture deal at Disney
0: oh come on do short films really count <laughs> you've just, you just discounted Shyamalan for having something that only showed at a festival
2: if, it, if it's got a title like that it's in <laughs> I can't leave it out, can I? People need to know about this. No, that's fair enough. Uh, he, he himself, about the project, said it's horrible, it's atrocious. And and that's it. <laughs> um, I think the title pretty much explains the, the, the plot. Although I don't know where the um, the, the free picture of Disney comes into it all. Um, it just sounds awful. <laughs> it was received awfully. I don't even know if you could find it on YouTube. I've not bothered to look. I don't think I will anytime soon. So that's three bad directorial debuts. Now, Carol, what are you going to tell us about? Um,
0: I, I basically went for um, debuts from people who were previously known better for other things. So I have gone for a triple bill. Um, and my first choice was George Clooney for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I've, I've Found out early was released in 2002, so it's already 12 years old. It really doesn't feel that old. Um, It's it's horrible when things like that creep up on you. Um, But it's basically, it's the story of um, an American game show host, very famous American game show host. I think it was in the 50s, if I remember correctly, um, played by Sam Rockwell, who's always excellent. And he may or may not be an assassin for the CIA, uh, kind of in between hosting game shows. And it's it's really it's a really enjoyable film. Um it, George Clooney's in it as well as, as his kind of informant, I think it was. Um I haven't seen it for quite a long time. But um it was a really kind of snappy film. Unfortunately I don't think personally George Clooney's um directing since then has really lived up to it. Um I think the last one I saw of his was The Ides of March, which was quite a plodding film. Uh, could have been could have been a lot better. But um, yeah, Confessions and Saviours mine is, is really good. Just mainly, basically for Sam Rockwell's performance because he is—he's good in everything. Let's be honest, um, and he was really good in this. Um, so my second choice was uh, one that I saw last year. These are all quite recent films, actually. Thinking about it, um, was Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut, Don John, oh, wow. um, which I saw last year, and obviously he's. Much much better known for being a, an actor, and also I think a musician as well, um, but, but most famous for being an actor. And it's a story of I think I reviewed it on the um, on the podcast actually from Film Festival last year, from London Film Festival. And it's about um, a guy who's just basically obsessed with porn, and uh, he finds finds this girl, but she's kind of equally obsessed with uh, you know having a nice life, and having material things. And it's kind of it's it's more of a more of a one to watch really I think. Uh, not, it's not a brilliant film, but I'm quite interested to see what he does in the future with a kind of when he gets more experience at directing and stuff. I know obviously he's been around for a long, long time now, um, but yeah, it's a really enjoyable film. It had had quite a lot to say. It kind of got a bit muddled at the end. It had kind of a slacker in ending, um, but it was it did have quite a lot of interesting things to say about the consumption of media both by men and women in today's age. Um, and my final one is uh, Sam Mendes for American Beauty. Uh, Sam Mendes, before this film, was uh, a theatre director, and this was his first feature film, and he won millions of Oscars for it, which was, which was lovely. I remember seeing this in the cinema, and I was like, just absolutely blown away. It, it's fantastic. Sometimes, I think, when you get either films that originally were theatre productions, or theatre directors, it can feel overly staged. Um, Where you get a film like that, I'm thinking specifically of *The Deep Blue Sea*. Here, I did feel find that overly staged. Um, the, ter- the, the film of the Terrace Vatican* play, but uh, *American Beauty* is just—it's amazing. It's, it's so good. I watched it a couple of months ago, and it still holds up now. Kevin Spacey, I absolutely adore, and um, it, it's just a really, really, really good film. Obviously, if you've seen it more than once, the twist ending will kind of become duller so the whole kind of there's red herrings being thrown out at the end as to who's done, what well, yeah who's committed the murder, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm giving anything away there by saying that because it's uh, said right in the first kind of 30 seconds but um, yeah it's a it's a really really good film and I think Sam Mendes has really lived up to it since then as well with um, Road to Perdition uh, amongst other things Skyfall as well. And Sky, yeah. Oh god, how could I forget Skyfall? So yeah, that was um. Yeah. So yes, this this is basically the first steps on the road to becoming an excellent film director. One of my favourites. I'll always go and watch a Sam Mendes film.
2: Okay, so that's all. Oh no, did we have James's suggestions, Owen?
3: Uh, You're asking me? Yes, we did have James's suggestions. If you give me two seconds, I will find them for you. Yeah, okay, yes, I've got them here. Actually, there was one that I'm going to read at last because I was considering mentioning it anyway. But, um, yes, so uh, he said his theme, uh, it doesn't get better than this. Three directors who haven't or have never topped their debut films. Uh, In third place, he's got Kevin Smith uh, with Clerks. He says, although I think Chasing Amy and Dogma are intelligent, funny and unexpectedly mature films, Nothing can match the freshness and quotability of his first film. Um, I would agree with James there. I think Clerk. Well, I don't know. Dogma's probably his best. Clerks is probably his most funny, uh, and it's a brilliant debut. Have you two seen Clerks? Do you
0: Like Clerks? Yeah, yeah, I've never actually come across anyone else who really liked Dogma either. I really liked Dogma. I loved Dogma. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was good. Very clever. It got absolutely slated. I remember, like no one, no one else really seems to like it, but I really enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, so his second choice uh, is Brian Singer for The Usual Suspects. Uh, he said, I often forget that, di- that the director of some great and some terribly mediocre blockbusters started out his career with this timeless crime classic, a perfect film in my eyes. Um, I don't know if it's a perfect film, personally, but it is very high in the IMDb Top 250. Is it in the Top 5 or Top 10?
0: It should be. It was one of my original picks was it? Uh, before James nicked it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a great – it's such a good film. It's just – it's fantastic. Again, you would think that actually you would think that the um, repeated views would kind of lessen the impact of it, but it doesn't at all.
3: Yeah, I think it's one of those – I've only seen it once, but I can imagine it being one of those films where even though you know about Kaiser Soze, um
0: you go through it looking for the clues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's a just as
3: good. Yeah, I bet it is, yeah. So uh, his first choice um, is Orson Wells with Citizen Kane. Uh, he says, as good as Touch of Evil and the Magnificent Ambersons are, Citizen Kane is simply one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. And that's not even taken into account that it was a directorial, du- directorial debut of a cocky 26-year-old blessed with a touch of genius. Uh, yeah, I'm glad he's picked Citizen Kane. Uh, I'm, and I'm glad we get to sort of pull it into the podcast because it is a very important film um, for, you know, what it did to movies at the time and what it did for sort of indie filmmaking almost, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's a brilliant film as well, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. Although I like, kind of disagree with you said, as good as Touch of Evil and The Magnificent Ambersons are... Um, I wasn't that keen on The Magnificent Ambersons, but apparently there's a lot of history about why it's as rough and odd as it is, because he basically didn't make half of it. So, yeah, Magnificent Ambersons I'm not too sure about, but Citizen Kane is definitely um, possibly the single greatest directorial debut, if we're honest. Not because it's the best film, but because of what it did for cinema. So yeah, well done
2: James, I'm glad you picked it It had to be mentioned by someone Okay, and now just time to uh, Finish off the podcast by recommending uh, Some films to watch During the week I'm going to start off with uh, Channel 5 On Monday at 10 o'clock In preparation for The sequel coming out in a few weeks 21 Jump Street from 2012
0: Good choice I was so pleasantly surprised by that film
2: and the trailer for the sequel looks pretty good as well.
0: Yes, it does, yeah. I had no intention of watching that film and I was persuaded to watch it and I was just really pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was great, it was so funny. Uh,
3: yeah, I only watched it because Steve, Jerry and James kept saying how good it was and I thought, it can't be that good. And uh, then
2: it was quite fun, yeah. Was, as usual, good. the three of us were right. <laughs>
3: Yeah. And he your, your recommendation it. of uh, This Is The End was pretty good as well, so you're on a roll, Steve.
2: Comedy's had a good couple of years after being pretty rubbish for a long time. Comedy's kind of... has been a, a good couple of years for comedy films. Yeah. Uh, Owen, what are you telling people to watch?
3: Uh, I'm going to be really lazy and say people should watch uh, Robert Rodriguez's Mexican trilogy on Netflix. Uh, it's all there. You've got no excuse. And Desperado is brilliant.
2: Okay, and Carol? Uh,
0: well, some of us are very excited about Days of Future Past opening up in nine days' time now. Um, Film 4 are also very excited about it, but I would say that they're very excited about the X-Men triple bill over the weekend, but I would say don't bother with Origins, Wolverine or Last Anchor, because they're shit. Watch on Monday at 7pm X-Men, the original, uh, which basically... You have to thank for every single superhero film coming through the uh, blo- coming through the multiplex at the moment, whether you like that or not. Came at just the right time, didn't it, X Men?
3: Yeah. Comic book movies were on the wane a little bit, and then well, it yeah, just blew you
0: everything had else. Batman Forever, which was obviously quite bad, and then you had Blade, which was like an 18, so that was mm. good, you know, for the over 18s, that was fine. But for the for the family friendly stuff, X Men was really important. Yeah. And it and it's a good film, it still holds up now. It's not as good as the sequel, but that's not on T V <laughs> this week as far as I can see.
2: You can watch Vinnie Jones be an X Men.
0: Uh, you can but I wouldn't recommend it mm. <laughs> I'm not that's not my recommendation I have no part of that recommend I'm recommending the first one I would not recommend anyone who even likes X-men goes near the third one or origins Wolverine actually you can watch origins Wolverine uh, which I think is on over the weekend but only watch the first 10 minutes and and that should be fine after that you can just switch it off
1: okay.
0: I kind of got have a confession that I don't mind the last stand. I don't think
3: it's <sighs> I don't think it's um, Great by any stretch of the imagination, but it's if you just ignore the fact that it is supposed to be the third part of a trilogy and it completely ruined everything that came before it, and it's just a mess <laughs> of different mutants, it's alright. If you ignore know that, it? it's absolutely fine. Yeah, if you watch it just as a standalone X Men film, it's alright.
0: If, if we had been watching it as the first one or, or one that had come after a long time afterwards and, you know, not knowing about the missed opportunities uh, and not knowing about Brian Singer not being allowed to direct Superman and going off to direct Superman Returns instead, then yeah, it would probably be fine. But the fact is it isn't. It's an awful botched job. Uh, I am really, I was really upset because I was I was upset when, when Brian Singer came off it but I was more upset when Matthew Vaughan came off it as well because I thought he would have done a really good job and then we just sort of got left with the shit fest that was Brett Ratner really uh, sorry, sorry Brett Ratner I'm sure you're a really nice person <laughs> and everything but this film is a mess
3: he's oblivious to that as well I watched the DVD commentary on The Last Stand and they're just like oh that's yeah, it's brilliant people love this bit was, you know when stuff like uh, Juggernaut turns up and they're going oh yeah this is really popular it wasn't
0: they have a point because i think it's actually the most successful one which is you know I, I don't really want to say what that says about the film going public as a whole but um yeah they they do have a point to be fair because it, it was actually phenomenally successful and generally the x men films haven't been haven't done amazing box offers and that one did so it kind of validated them in a way but everyone who actually likes the x men thinks it's shit so there mm-hmm
3: well first class has been a saviour and hopefully stays
2: the future past will continue hopefully fingers crossed anyway uh, so yes that's all for uh, this week's podcast next week will be I believe a Godzilla special and a return of James Diamond to the podcast sooner than expected whether that's good or bad make your own mind up (laughs) Uh, so thanks everyone who's listened this week and hopefully you will join us next week uh for our Godzilla special. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman, and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at
1: failedcritics.